1: Hagman coming at you from our radio and television studios here live northwest Pennsylvania we broadcast live every weeknight that's 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time right here on the global star radio network that's the place to be the global star radio network of course simulcast BTR and of course on YouTube live thanks for joining us tonight got a lot to get into um, first segment we're gonna be taking a closer look at some of the issues facing us you know it. it it's very interesting that, that we see things breaking the way they are. And, um, put a lot of thought into, into, uh, into the research, into the headlines. You know, y- the, the vast majority of people who just claim they want to know the truth don't really want to know the truth in my view. Um, they're captured by the captured media. And I think that, I think the majority of people in this country have got Stockholm syndrome. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, folks, I'm Doug Hagman at the Helmfeld Investigative Researcher, my son Joe Hagman, together with something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. The, um, Sure, night is gonna. How this is gonna go? The first uh, the first hour is gonna be dedicated to to getting a deeper look, closer look into the headlines, and of course, our our two is Holly Dale is coming on. Rare, a rare appearance. Let me tell you, Holly Dale, we're blessed to have Holly Dale. I don't know how many people ever heard Holly Dale speak. I mean, it, it speak on on air.
2: She's rare, a rare, famous author of the book Dare to Prepare. As well as the book I have in my hand Prophetic Perils This is another encyclopedia of information Pertaining to end time events As well as other survival uh, information And the history of so many of the atrocities we've seen uh, Committed by governments in the last 100 to 200 years It's going to be a fantastic book and a rare appearance with Holly Deo. She's been on before, and it is far and few between due to her busy schedule. But her book, Dare to Prepare Alone, we call the Survival Encyclopedia. It's a must-have for any uh, person who has preps, and it is a tool that not only um, gives you the information that you need to know as far as how to survive, but it shows you and explains to you how to be resourceful with what you have in order That's to survive. Right.
1: And prophetic barrels is a is a new, a different genre altogether. Where, where's yep. hair and makeup, by the way, in here? Because I, I had a wire hanging down and no one even fixed it. I had to see that on the.
2: Oh, hair and uh, makeup. We and were makeup. come on, hair and makeup. Uh, we had uh, opened a bottle of scotch before the show, and and uh...
1: don't even joke about that because you you know so you, you know <laughs> no, somebody an issue.
2: I was in the the studio and I saw. Uh, I, know, I guess I didn't see it before. There was this uh, old bottle of whiskey, and I pulled it out. I said, "Eric, what do you think?" And he said, "No, not before the show.
1: That, but, <laughs> no, no. Let me ask you: Has that bottle ever been opened?" No, I don't think it's open. No, that was that was a gift, actually, and uh, it, no. it it looked nice though. I was just. Uh, it was just admiring it. But anyway, that's right. Got a lot to get into tonight. Yeah. Uh, Portion's a nice broadcast brought to you by, and you were talking about survival. Oh, yeah. Survival preps. Look, folks, the perfect survival cooking stove. If you think you're prepared and if you've got your preps and you're the, the mentality that, that we are, that you need to be prepared for any eventuality, I think. Well, Minuteman Rocket Stove, it is the perfect, absolute <clears throat> perfect cooking stove for you and your family for a couple of reasons. It, it It's a biomass burning stove. It requires only a small amount of sticks, twigs for fuel, okay? You're, you're always going to be able to, you will always be able to find enough fuel for the Minuteman Rocket Stove, even if you live in a city or in the suburbs. This is why it's perfect for your needs, folks. More on this later, but. currently 1,400 degrees? Yeah, a little, ouch like that ouch yeah now the uh the website <clears throat> go there now com. that's com. seriously go there and and, and you, you know you you think well i've got the cooking part of this handled i've got whatever now this this thing if 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 it can survive a fall from my tank in the way i drive and uh do more damage to the uh to the vehicle I was driving than the uh, than the than the no damage to the rocket stove itself. Let me tell you something. That's something that you really need. It, it it's a it's a testimony to the creators and to the workers in uh America who made this American made beauty. That's minutemanstove.com, dot com. And for a limited time, um
2: you get free shipping. And you get a fall, a uh, free small fire starter with each Minuteman rocket stove ordered through the website. You do? Uh, for the first, yeah, just for a short time. Okay. So Limited time there only, you go. Free shipping I'm and a free small fire starter with each stove that you order. Go to Minuteman rocket stove or call 252-996-0856.
1: All right. So we, you need to go there and those fire starters are amazing. Um, I I was playing with one in in at my home and I got one with I, arms it. Right. Uh, uh, don't do that! Don't <laughs> do that! No, I got one. I was playing with it at the in my home and I. We have a little area in the, well, we have a little area where there's wood that's burnt and stuff. Um, boy, you talk about lighting up tinder. It it, it did in seconds and uh,
2: even when the, it's wet. It, I mean, aside from the stove, crazy. the fire starters are uh, worth the price of admission because they could be lifesavers in the worst types of, of scenarios that you might find yourself in without access to any type of fuel. uh, And
1: and, and that's, you know, something, and and, we talk about preparation and, and this leads us into a larger area. Um, many, and and sometimes when you're, when you're immersed in the internet and the headlines and all the stuff that you look at, you've got to get away and, um, kind of put things in perspective and balance. All right, Life goes on, and I guarantee you that whatever the short-term events or whatever the events in the short-term may happen, whatever events might happen, you're going to have a period of, of normalcy. Remember, remember when the uh, Operation Desert uh, Storm began and the shelling in Baghdad as the sun rose. If you watched it live back in 91, if you were, if you're, uh, if you recall that, um, is that when it was? Yeah, 91, I think. Uh, you, you may recall Wolf Blitzer and others saying, yeah, people are going to work. You know, people are driving to work, just not driving to work. This is after the Allies shelling the, you know, or the uh, the uh, Americans and the coalition forces bombing Baghdad. Yeah, people going coming to work. So you're going to have a period of normalcy. So I would, uh, don't get stressed. And, and don't, uh, when you hear these headlines that we're going to be talking about, when you think about all the possibilities, you can't, you can't let your mind be held hostage to these because you know there's going to be a period of normalcy with, built within the whatever crisis we face. So let's get to the headlines show.
2: Yeah, Um this first segment we're going to take a closer look at a number of Hillary Clinton, um uh, issues. That is a closer look. Hillary Clinton has been in the news frequently this last 3 to 6 months and beyond for a number of important issues. There are so many headlines that are coming out now and so much that is going on um that I know you got some stuff you want to get into with Vince Foster but I'm going to open with this. There has been some uh there has been some revelation as far as Vince Foster and Hillary Clinton as well as the Hillary Clinton body count. Now, folks, if you can believe this, Google has stepped in to hide the Clinton body count search suggestion results. When you go to search engines like Yahoo, AOL, or whatever other search engines are prevalent out there, and you start typing the words Clinton body you will see it auto-finish with auto-suggest, and it usually says Clinton body count. Well, on Google, if you have no uh past search of Hillary Clinton body count on your computer, it will not put uh auto-suggest, finish that thought. Instead, it will write Hillary Clinton, you know, body double, or Hillary Clinton uh, body injury, censoring... The search results now. It's not just the the health. Uh,
1: uh, w- w- where's is, the
2: yak? <laughs> where's not, the yak? It's not just health that is uh, being censored either. Interestingly enough, uh, just very recently, the uh, Hillary Clinton and her results uh, search results have been scrubbed pertaining to Vince Foster, FBI files linking. Hillary Clinton to Vin, uh, Hillary Clinton to the suicide of White House counsel Vince Foster have vanished from the national archives uh, suicide wrong wrong word but go on documents describing Hillary Clinton's role in the death of White House count, counsel Vince Foster have vanished Daily Mail online has learned after an extensive investigation Foster is believed to have shot himself with a thirty eight caliber revolver at uh, Fort Marcy Park along the Potomac River on, uh, River on July 20th 1983. Two FBI agents involved in the investigation That'd be 93 by the way I'm sorry uh, 93. Anyway what has been happening here and this is not an isolated incident uh, and we can go over these individually but we'll, we'll just list the titles one by one and we'll come back over them um, New York Tech Giants' columnist calls on Google to hide Hillary's search results. Again, also, Google hides Clinton body count searches. Now Hillary Clinton's connection to the suicide of Vince Foster, the uh, files FBI files have now been erased,
1: disappeared. They did this as well. Okay, so they did this as well, Joe, with the McCarthy documents. Okay, now, now, folks, remember we had talked so much about this in the nineteen nineties, forty years after Joe McCarthy died, after the McCarthy hearings, that 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 the progressives, national socialists, all that, you know, and McCarthy became a verb, um, or, or or you know, McCarthyism. The the um, um, talk about this about how it was a witch hunt for communist infiltration into our government. Joe, they did this the exact same thing with the National Archives in the nineteen nineties with the McCarthy files. Folks, M. Stanton Evans, a great author. If you've not read, uh, read Blacklisted by History, it's a huge book. Um, in his in his research for that book, went to the National Archives. Found zero uh about his speech in Wheeling, West Virginia. It was removed. Found zero at the Wheeling uh newspaper. It was removed. So bear that in mind. Go ahead.
2: Now this is becoming a trend with Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton's health records are being censored by the media and internet. Her uh the other records that are being censored are the body count records. There are um Doctors' reports that are being censored, or doctors' opinions about Hillary Clinton that are being censored, as well as the email scandal that has come back up in the news, as 14,900 more documents in Clinton email probe have emerged. Also, the Army Operational, uh, Army OPSEC briefs list Hillary Clinton and David Petraeus as examples of insider threats. Elite Army operational security brief appears to show Democratic primary nominee Hillary Clinton and David Petraeus as potential insider threats. Admins of the Facebook page U.S. Army uh, Movements told the Daily Caller News Foundation this is the second time they've received a picture of this particular slide in the last six months. They posted the slide on their page Sunday. And in the slide, it is a U.S. Army training document uh, that is used like a um, uh, what are those called uh, projectors?
1: All somebody's right, giving a, in the classroom. <laughs> somebody's
2: giving a class, and, and they're using a projector to show slides All to right. the classroom. Now, on this picture, you can see the tops of heads of the people attending sitting in the rows, and on the screen it says, "Who is a threat?" Were you, were you it says insiders. Were you able to get that up or uh, on the on the video, or no? I can send it to Eric. Okay, no, no, don't worry about that. That's fine. But it says insiders. It lists Nadal, Hassan, right, Bradley Manning, Edward Snowden, David Petraeus, and Hillary Clinton.
1: Okay, so so wait, let's put this in perspective because this is important. I don't want you to see this picture. All right, so. no, but this is important. So, what's the headline on there? The headline is. No, no, on, on the image. Oh, insider threats. Okay, insider to who? Uh,
2: U.S. Um, U.S. Army. Uh, U.S.A.W.T.F.M. Whatever the acronym. Field training manual, for. I believe. Okay. okay. So United States Army. Field training manual. I, I, Oh, yeah, it's field training manual for that. All right. Out, so, of, so, State, out of Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. Okay. Uh, and it goes on to say that the. This came from a service member station there uh, at Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri, and that this is the second time that they have used this slide in their presentations interesting listing Dahl Hassan Bradley Manning, <coughs> Edward Snowden, as well as David Petraeus and Hillary Clinton as insider threats saying they're
1: careless or disgruntled employees all right you you can you can uh, you can almost excuse the first. Or the middle two, Snowden and, uh, uh, Manning, okay, based on historical public evidence. You can almost excuse that. But, but to throw in, um, Nadal, Nadal Hassan, which is interesting anyway, because he's the Fort Hood, sh- or the, the shooter in Fort Hood, right? Yeah. Yeah. And okay.
2: then, and then Petraeus, who was found which, guilty, of which of okay. the same crimes Hillary Clinton was accused of, um mishandling of classified information which he was actually forced to step down and given a probation term which was lucky was not
1: turned into a jail sentence right uh, so anyway so this slide this overhead slide was included in this briefing so so it's very interesting
2: yes certain branches of the army at, at certain camps are teaching their recruits or service members that Hillary Clinton is an insider threat but and I'm just guessing here, it's due to her email scandal, as she used unclassified uh, that, that's servers. Cool as she used servers to, to, that's uh, going to be a
1: dated. That's going to be a dated slide because to have Manning on there, Petraeus on there, Petraeus is gone. Manning is long gone. Uh, Nadel Hassan is long, long gone. I don't know. I mean, the article so, from today. Uh, well, right, but documenting is something that happened years ago. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Just to be clear to, to the audience, because. Um, people will accuse us of saying, well, wait a minute, you know, this is not happening today. And, and obviously not, but nonetheless, there it is. Okay. But, uh, folks, that's on the Daily
2: Caller if you want to find that, uh, article, uh, about the Clinton being, her picture, uh, being called an insider threat at an U.S. Army sure. base being, uh, trained, uh, or training troops. Now, the FBI has uncovered 14,900 more emails um, we'll that, round it up to fifteen grand. 15, yeah. 000. That the uh, Clintons did not turn over to the State Department. Um, and also, there's an interesting Clinton corruption, 10 Inconvenient Truths About the Clinton Foundation. There's some news that has come out about the Clinton Foundation. Hillary Clinton has announced, as well as Bill Clinton announcing, that regardless if they win the presidential nomination or not, that they're going to close down the Clinton Foundation. Some of the hacked information that has recently come out about the Clinton Foundation shows that it was a pay-to-play scheme. Over 50% yes. of the non-governmental workers who met with Clinton while she was sitting in the State Department donated to her campaign and in return received some sort of political favor, whether it was a job, whether it was a deal that went their way, a contract... Um, and there are several documented cases now these are non-governmental workers so over half the people that met with hillary clinton at the state department who did not hold an office inside the government or a foreign government made a donation of a hundred thousand dollars or more to her foundation this is what is called the pay to play and um those kind of statistics are just so far out there that it can't be construed as anything else. Because uh, Hillary Clinton has been known, along with Huma Abedin, it has come out that she has committed felonies under the
1: Clinton Foundation for the Clinton Foundation. And, and let me let me throw something in here because Huma Abedin has um, she also worked for the as an uh, as an as, well as an editor. For her mother's publication, which blamed folks, listen to this: nine eleven, two thousand and one, the day the towers came down. What was Huma Abedin doing? She was listed. She was working as an editor for a Muslim, for an Islamic publication that ultimately blamed nine eleven on America, on Americans, on on us, on you and I. So, and this publication is the spokes. It is the sheet for the Muslim Brotherhood. It is the rag for the Muslim Brotherhood. So understand Huma Abedin, who sleeps behind locked doors in the same room with Hillary Diane Rodham, the witch, the Yak Clinton, okay? Is 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 in fact part of this blame America for 911 stuff. Now, whether you think it was an inside job or had the elements of inside jobs, it doesn't matter. I get that. I we all get that. We all understand that that's that's not even arguable anymore. What right. is? What is? Is the the absolute bullcrap by the media right now? And folks, listen to me. The, the, the We are being gamed by the mainstream media. And this woman, this Huma Abedin, this Carlos Dangers, my dog, my I'm, I'm, the lady doesn't like me talking like this. Our studio <laughs> dog, she, she just get up and she just says, oh, I'm, "I'm out of here. I'm going to the office," or it's quieter. But the but the bottom line is this: she she held four positions, concurrent, four concurrent positions with her time, well, overlapping, okay, to be fair, but nonetheless, four at the State Department, as she was, she's working at the State Department, including ties, direct ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, and our media has not come out and said, we need to investigate this, are are you out of your mind, Wolf Blitzer? Rachel Maddow, how how do you explain your absence? And more importantly, the big talkers, how do you explain not talking about this? How do you explain not giving.
2: Not only not talking about it, but calling people who do talk about a conspiracy theorist, marginalize them, cut their mics off, and completely uh, obfuscate the issues at hand and the truth.
1: Um, back to this article. Sorry, 10- I'm twisted. I'm, no. just, I'm getting twitching. I'm, I'm just twitching about Hillary the Yak and the Huma and the Muslim Brotherhood and the in- infiltration by the Muslims into this, into our into our country and and the overtaking and the people just yawning, rolling over and saying, you know what's on television? Go on. Ten inconvenient
2: truths about the Clinton Foundation. Now I'm just going to read the, the headlines, not the explanations. Uh, one, there are major overlaps between Clinton campaign donors and her foundation donors, raising ethical red flags. Two, several major Clinton Foundation donations came from companies lobbying the federal government, which is a huge conflict of interest. Three, the Clinton Foundation accepted millions from foreign governments. Four, Clinton Foundation accepted millions from other foreign sources while Clinton served as Secretary of State which is another conflict of interest. Uh, Five, last week the Clinton Foundation announced they wouldn't take foreign or corporate money if Clinton is elected but other countries still will be allowed to. Six, the FBI wanted to open an investigation into the Clinton Foundation but the effort was scuttled by the Obama administration. Again, the FBI wanted to investigate the clinton foundation but was stopped by the obama administration seven clinton's chief of staff at state department had a deep and simultaneous involvement in the clinton foundation top clinton state department aid helped clinton foundation uh, which is another huge conflict of interest eight Sidney blumenthal collected ten thousand dollars a month from the clinton foundation while providing libyan intelligence to clinton uh, nine is the Clinton Foundation failed to disclose $26.4 million in speaking fees while Clinton was Secretary of State. And last but not least, since 2003, the Clinton Foundation has spent more than $50 million on travel. And this article goes into... Wait, 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 wait. How much on travel?
1: Uh $50 million. $50 million. Okay, since when? since 2003. So wait but wait wait 14 no, no, no. years 50 million. What is that? Uh, well it's over it's over 2 million a year.
2: Right? It's less than the president. Um again well, the well. one of the important ones number 6 the FBI wanted to open an investigation into the Clinton Foundation but the effort was scuttled by the Obama administration.
1: Well okay th- th- there it is. See why are we this banana flipping republic and why should we care there it is right there. Now I'm I'm wondering Um, I'm wondering if we're going to have the opportunity if, with Trump, I'm wondering if Trump will open an investigation. And If Trump wins, this is something I'm going to ask him. And yes, I'm going to ask him this. You heard that right. (laughs) Uh, Another news, New York Times
2: tech columnist calls on Google to hide Hillary health info. So now they're telling her to hide her, Google to hide the Hillary health info. Now they're telling her to hide, um, the, they, they've, they've scrubbed the Vince Foster references. They're censoring her, uh, Google results when it comes to, um, oh goodness.
1: Well, there isn't here. There's so many of them. I can't keep track. It's beyond, it's beyond even comprehension. You, you search for anything about Hillary. And her health—it is going to lead you. to The search engine is going to lead you to the black abyss. They're scrubbing
2: any references to the body count. They've uh, scrubbed the Vince Foster references. They are uh, scrubbing the health information and so much more, folks. We'll be right back after this with Holly Dale. Stay with us.
1: And Hagman report live from uh, North uh, North Harris, Pennsylvania. I was going to say from our bunkers. We're going to need the bunkers. G- talking uh, this hour about uh, about the uh, all things that are behind the scenes. A closer look. My wife just came into the studio. Hey, beautiful. Just stay with. Stay here. You not have to. You don't have to leave into the offices. There you go. Take care of the. Studio Dog Lady, uh, very exciting segments coming up, including Holly Dale. Uh, and yeah, next segment, that's right. Next segment, and, I yep, yep jump again before the and, break. And um, Stan Dale, of course, rounding out the final segment of the show tonight. So stay right where you're at. But before we get into the closer look, you look. Um, my, my wife did something earlier today that I just um, I, I wasn't expecting. She released my medical records on the internet now with that release there was this big how many big, flash drives did you need uh, quite a few actually um terabytes of information about my health uh, was it dental or just medical just medical hey yeah. knock that off no. now No, but anyway <laughs> um just uh, just all sorts of uh because there's rumors about my health being uh not that good and my ability to run this program and I wanted. I look I wanted to absolutely dispel any rumors of my illness Im- Infirmaries, impairments. We'll do it right now. This answers everything. See, if you're not watching this live via YouTube, if you're visually impaired, that is by virtue of the mechanisms, mechanically, visually impaired, I'm holding up a jar of pickles. I got two bucks as you can't do it. Now, either. this has not been opened. Let me test. And for those of you who've been living on the rock, under a rock, Hillary proved her fitness for the office of the president by a jar of pickles. So that was her physical, right? So let's see. And, and who conducted that, Jimmy Kimmel? Would you like to inspect this to make sure that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that has not been tampered with, otherwise opened or anything like that? You know, no, it's tight. Okay, it's not. a no seal. It's, it's, it's unbroken. Right? All right. I got two bucks as so he still can't have. So just to, to dispel the rumors of my ill health, I've gotta do this for you. So we're, so uh, if you were, let's say had diabetes, uh, and you
2: open that jar, are you diabetes free? I don't know, but I, if you're going to talk, you mic up. <laughs> And are those the the same kind of of show. and is that the same jar that she opened on the show? I I don't know. Because is that medically approved? Uh, FDA approved. Let me look here.
1: It says uh, 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 approved for presidential fitness tests of all types in the the United States of America, year 2016, Hillary Rodham, Diane the Witch, the uh, Clinton. So apparently. Did I get get all that? Yeah. Okay. There it is. So, oh, I shouldn't have no, done that. you
2: shouldn't have. All right. But it's okay. Hang, hang
1: on. Let me try.
2: All right. Here, here's you what you get about the strength of oh. Hillary. Hey,
3: I'm
1: gonna get it. Hang on.
2: <laughs> I don't know. No, like he what happened? It, up it
1: upset my dog. Alright. You here. throw your back out? Oh, did you hear that classic pop? So I am fit. So the rumors- the The rumor, you know- They're
2: calling your PCP tomorrow. No more of your
1: ailments. No more blood tests. No more worry. No more worry. So, I, I, you know, you know, I had my wife actually run to the store and buy the jar of pickles and okay. bring it to the studio. So, uh, and my dog now is all upset. Uh, you know, she's all. Can she's going to just gonna, grab some salsa. She's going to knock, uh, she's going to knock over the, the set here. So uh, there we go. I just want to, so for the anybody out there who's commenting on my health, my physical health, I just, uh, I'm, I'm fit. Uh, in fact, I could, I should run for president.
2: Now, for those who are unfamiliar uh, why that is so important, last night on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Hillary Clinton opened a pickle jar in response to rumors about her health. Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, and others have been questioning the health of Hillary Clinton. So, to challenge that, Clinton opened a jar of pickles. Jimmy Kimmel presented her with a challenge during an appearance on Monday's ABC, The Late Night Talk Show. He also checked her pulse. Oh wait, oh no, now, I mind you after this interview she took about a fourteen hour nap.
1: Um <laughs> but she's back at it today. Uh, how many pillows did Jim Jimmy prop her up with? <laughs> uh well speaking of look speaking of Hillary Diane uh, Rodham the Yak the the witch, the yak uh, Clinton. Uh the 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 closer look segment here talks about uh uh, we're gonna be talking a little bit more. Joe led off with the Google censor, Google censoring of many the, issues uh, uh, from the, uh, Google censoring of Hillary Clinton's health records,
2: the Google censoring of Hillary Clinton body count, the, uh, scrubbing F- of the FBI files of Hillary Clinton's relation to the suicide of Vince Foster. Right. As well as other, uh, instances. Well, like the army, uh, operational special forces brief
1: listing Hillary Clinton as an insider threat. And isn't it funny that uh, none of us have that distinction, which is a good thing. But yet Hillary, Diane, Rodham, the witch, the yak Clinton does. So, but, but, you know, it's, the body count is, is, is a continually evolving <laughs> number, folks, but, uh, one of the highest ranking government officials since JFK to be, uh, to die in office in, under mysterious circumstances, of course, is Vince Foster, Deputy White House Counsel, in July of 1993. And we need to pay attention to this. Alan uh, Favish, who has a website com, had, uh, Done a lot of research, done a lot of investigations of his own into the foster death. note. here's where I get really, really protective of the audience and extremely concerned about what we, what we talk about here. You will find, for example, today's, I think it was today's Daily Mail that referenced, Joe, what you were talking about. Um, Daily Mail, I believe it was out of the UK. Really forcing the fact that that Foster's death was indeed a suicide, but it questioned everything else. Yes. All right. Now it it was the Daily Mail, uh, UK exclusive,
2: missing FBI files linked or linking Hillary Clinton to the suicide. of White House Counsel Vince Foster have vanished from the National Archives.
1: Okay. Now, I looked at this, and, and I did a lot of research or a lot of analyzing of, of this particular piece, read the comments at the time. I think I looked at it. There were several hundred comments, but but they really are pushing the suicide angle. So I'm looking at this and wondering, what, what's the objective here? Is the objective to really get to the truth? And as I continued and and uh, really drove down for the actual information here's here is the truth uh, according to the Hagman and Hagman report because as also as well as defined initially by the research of Alan J. Favish who also used the research of two independent researchers other independent researchers Patrick Knowlton and uh, 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 Hugh Turley and they also cited Miguel Rodriguez one of the uh, U.S. uh, attorneys investigating this as well. Let me summarize this very quickly. Um, Trump had come out not too long ago saying something is very fishy about the Vince Foster death, and he was immediately taken to task by people. Uh, Foster, of course, was Clinton's deputy White House counsel, who was found dead in Fort Marcy Park on July twentieth, nineteen 1993. Now, I've got pictures of me in Fort Marcy Park not too long after that, and if you would see how I look, and the reason I haven't published is because I, I look like I'm, I, I don't know, I look a lot better than I, I don't know, I, I just, I look certainly a lot different. But but uh, Now, folks, uh, in the, in the F, with the FBI, the box
2: that is in question contained dozens of FBI reports concerning Foster's yep, death, including yep. interviews with the medical examiner, U.S. Park Police officers, and White House aides about the contents of Foster's office the reports on hillary clinton's role in his death were absent right and this is right. coming from uh um author david uh painter who has visited the box on numerous occasion numerous occasions conducting investigations into foster's death through uh using the fbi notes and files and those documents have been the same on each visit
1: except for this latest one so some might say well that they were put in another box you're looking at numerous boxes they were misfiled whatever but the bottom line is they weren't where they're supposed to be and you've got operatives for this regime and i'm talking about the uh, current criminal cabal in dc inside the bellway uh who are uh who are working on behalf sorry about this my uh again hair and makeup failed us again um (laughs) Who are, yeah, let me just fix this right here. Who are working, um, it's kind of like being wired up by the FBI. Okay. This is how they do it. They just, they, they let all the wires show. Okay. Anyway, um, ah, heck with that. So, he, he, here's what, here's what this is. Two independent councils were, were, two independent councils separately issued public reports on the murder of foster some p- publications some investigative journalists researchers whatever will claim well it was a suicide but they moved the body i don't believe that at all and anyone who does push that narrative in my view is either connected to or influenced by the clinton criminal cabal in some way shape or form just look down through that that list of uh uh in uh of potential uh uh potential uh the, Possibilities, I suppose. Now,
2: folks, you need to do your, your research on this. If you do the research, you will find conflicting witness reports. You will find conflicting reports about the car, his car. Yeah, his in fact, car. I'll make into that. There was right. another car that was there at the time of his death that was not his car. There was an unknown Hispanic male that seemed to be a, a part of this. There were uh, conflicting reports from police officers whether there was a gun in his hand or not. And even um, the pictures are uh, at issue. The wounds on the, that, from the medical examiner, uh, looked, uh, like they were doctored intentionally to mislead the public on the actual cause and
1: way of death. Well, Alan Favish filed a Freedom of Information Act request, a lawsuit actually, a lawsuit to enforce his request for records. It, uh, um culminated on march 30th 2004 now that's 12 years ago and you might think well what does this have to do with current events it has everything to do with current events because hillary the yak is running of course for the highest office in the land and we've got the uh we've got a lot of issues a lot of co-conspirators here in my view still in the power circles in dc but but father did a great job filed, filed a lawsuit it culminated march of 2004 When the United States Supreme Court issued its opinion in that specific case titled National Archives and Records Administration, which is NARA versus Allen Favish, uh, 541 U.S. 157, 2004. The, you you can, you can access, all you have to do is just type in Favish and, uh, and you'll you'll find the actual transcripts and the oral arguments online. But having said that, there were two different councils, two independent councils, who issued, that issued public uh, reports on the death of Foster. The first was Regulatory Independent Counsel Robert Fisk. You remember that, the Fisk report? He issued his report on June thirtieth, nineteen 1994. The second was Kenneth Starr, of course. He uh, He was appointed under a different statute, and he issued his report in July 1997 to a three-judge panel of federal appellate court judges to her, whom he reported. Now, that panel released Starr's foster report to the public in October of, of 1997. So it would be four months, three months, later, four months after, three months after it was uh, it was uh, reported, after the report was completed. So by the time the Supreme Court got involved in the case, and it, this case, the Favish case, had been... Uh, to the U.S. Uh, Court of States Courts of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit twice, the various parties arguing over whether the ten original Polaroid photographs that Joe mentioned of Foster's body—they were—they were—they were arguing over over those. Um, as the Supreme Court explained, after the federal district court judge decided that five of the ten photographs could be, re- uh, should be released, should be made public, the Ninth Circuit decided that only four should be made public. Now, that's kind of the backdrop. And the U.S. Supreme Court decided nine to zero to block disclosure of all the photographs. Alright. Now, one did make its way into the, the tabloids. How did that happen? Well, that's really not here, not important at this point, but, so, but here's, here's the, uh, that, that's the backstory. And, and here's, here's what's important. Alright. There was a memorandum dated December 9th through 29, 1994 on the subject of November 29, 90, 1994 meeting concerning a foster death matter and supplemental investigation prior to grand jury. That's a mouthful, but that's the name, or that's the memorandum title. It states that one of the Polaroid photos clearly, clearly depicts a burnt mark appearing blood stain burnt mark, a, a wound on Foster's neck. Now, think about that for a second. On Foster's neck. The memorandum states that Rodriguez, Miguel Rodriguez, was confident that this was caused by a stun gun or a taser. Similar type weapon. The memorandum states that an autopsy photograph, which was not a Polaroid, but, but a full 35 millimeter camera, taken a uh, uh, not a Polaroid taken in the park, uh, shows two posture wounds on the right side of Foster's neck and that the D.C. medical examiner, which would be, at that time, Dr. Byer, observed the appearance of crater-like indentations on the right side of the neck. So you've got the medical examiner, you've got photographic evidence, and you've got testimony stating, look, there was a mark, there was a wound, anti-mortem wound, or perimortem mm-hmm. wound on uh, Foster's, right side of Foster's neck, which... It was discolored, had blood on it, and it was an indentation. All right. This is so, this is why this is so critical because just that alone should be sending up all sorts of ring all sorts of alarm bells. Now uh Favish attempted to get the deposition of Rodriguez and such, but the, it was everything was denied because no one wants the truth. And then Favish was looking at this uh, case and, and was led to WorldNet Daily back in uh, February of this year and saw the documentation that uh, 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 Knowlton, Patrick Knowlton, and Hugh Turley put on World Net Daily. So, anyway, in his lawsuit, he filed a 750-page, uh, three-volume document called the Excerpts of Record. This is Favish now. It consists of copies, of all the relevant documents concerning this case. Now, when these documents were cited in the briefs, the Excerpts of Record were, were just reference or initial as ER. So there were with with this argument, there were corresponding page numbers. All this. So I'm going to just hit this very quickly, and just the head the headlines part of this. Fisk and Starr did not discuss the FBI memorandum that states no exit wound. In other words, two days after the autopsy, which was done uh, on Foster, the FBI an FBI agent sent a memo to the director of the FBI stating that preliminary results include the finding that a 38 caliber revolver constructed of two, two separate weapons was fired into the victim's mouth with no exit wound. And no. I'm sorry if I, uh,
2: if you covered this, but the gun identified was not the gun that Mrs. Foster. That's correct. Identified as her husband's gun.
1: This gun was actually the, the creation from two separate guns, two separate serial numbers, uh, that, that no one had ever seen. Yeah, wasn't the, the gun, uh, part of two separate guns put yes, together as to be one yeah, okay. Now, the medical report of a neck wound was not discussed by Fisk, by Starr, or by anyone else. Officially, there was no neck wound, and the totality of this was Foster shot himself in the mouth, leaving exit hole in the back of the head. That was the official story. The only medical doctor, folks, to view Foster's body at the park, which is Dr. Donald Hout, H-A-U-T, wrote a two-page report that is internally inconsistent. He said that uh, on the first page it says that that the uh, death shot was a mouth-to-head, but on the second page it describes a mouth-to-neck shot. Think about that and the inconsistencies there. Moreover, the report appears to have been improperly altered following its submission. On page 3, there's a section near the bottom of the page um, on the left side, and I saw this form, and you can find this form as well. Cause of death, perforating gunshot wound mouth, hyphen, head. But when you look close, there appears to be a four-letter word that was whited out before head. So something between mouth and head and the hyphens there was whited out or somehow obliterated on this particular form. Fisk, never, never discuss the Hout Report. Star quoted from the apparently altered language. Never talked about the neck wound. Failed to discuss both the alteration as well as the neck wound. And it's clear as a bell that there was some hanky-panky going on, not just with the medical examiner and the doctor on the scene, but with the records. So if any of the Democratic Socialist Progressives, Marxist, Leninist, Communist, supporters of the Clinton, the Yak, uh, uh, with the witch want to talk about facts. Here are facts. These are not pickle jar facts. These are dead, dead accurate facts. Starr failed to explain why the apparent alteration is missing, missing on one version of the, uh, the HOT report. There were three certified copies of, of the HOT report, or HAUT report name of Dr. Halpern. One was certified on November 2nd, 1994. The second certified on January 30th, 1995. And the third was certified March 20th, 2000. So, you got November 94, January 95, and March of 2000. The first and third copies contain what appears to be an alteration that's improper. That's the november 94 and the march of 2000 the second certified copy fails to show this apparent alteration star nonetheless failed to explain what's going on with this why why well very quickly here i'm going to move on these are just a couple just a couple inconsistencies and don't even touch really on the meat of it the um, star failed to report that a park police officer and dr hout said that they did not see any blood spatter now if you've ever seen someone put a Thirty-eight caliber weapon in their mouth, pull the trigger. I am going to tell you something: you are in for a mess, uh, especially if your walls are white and you've got white carpeting. I don't want to be graphic here, but I've seen my share of these, of these. But a United States Park Police officer who examined Foster's body and at the park testified that he saw a pool of blood just under his head, a gun in his right hand, which appeared to be a thirty-eight. Uh, but no sign of a struggle, no obvious other signs of trauma to the body. But the same officer reported that there was no blood spatter on the plants or surrounding uh, trees or vegetation or anything like that. So, where's the blood spatter? Hmm? That would uh, suggest an, uh, an exit wound. But or even the spatter around the vegetation. None of these statements was discussed in the, the Star Report. Starfield, the a report evidence that initially that there was no gun on Foster's hand. You had, officially Foster was found with a gun in his hand. Officially, I said. But then the, the first person that officially found Foster's body said that there was no gun in his hand. So which is a gun? No gun? Disappearing gun? Which gun? Who knows? Fisk and Star relied upon invalid gun identification. This goes to what you said, Joe. Starr failed to report that Fisk relied on invalid gun identification from Foster's widow, and Foster's widow uh, has been adamant in not releasing any of this information. But um, the continuing one Fisk and Star failed to report that the Park Police Chief made a false statement about alleged identification of the gun. Yes, yes, this happened. At a press conference August 10th, 1993, Robert Langston then chief of U.S. Park Police said that the Foster family had identified the official death gun as one of Foster's guns. Uh-oh, wait a second, but there's a statement. Uh, but that statement was false at the time it was made. The press conference was given by Philip Heyman. The He was the Deputy Attorney General uh, and then, I'm sorry, then Attorney General, the Deputy Attorney General, I can talk, Robert Bryant, then Special Agent in Charge of Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Field Office uh, uh, of the FBI and Chief Langston during this press conference. They misidentified or or actually prematurely identified the gun. So it had to be false at the time the statement was made. Lastly, or almost lastly, Star, and this is something that that people, when I had talked about this, they did not know this, and I had mentioned this before. Star failed to report that Foster's tongue and parts of the soft palate were removed before the police arrive for the autopsy if you're in law enforcement here's how here's here's how it goes if you catch a case you're working a homicide or suicide or whatever the case is there's an autopsy scheduled if that autopsy is scheduled for seven o'clock and you're the you're the investigative detective you're there at seven o'clock before the the medical examiner makes a cut on the corpse on the body okay that's how it works yet when the um Star reported that several police officers observed the autopsy and quoted one of the officers who wrote that after he briefed the autopsy doctor, the doctor started the autopsy. But what he didn't report was before anyone even got into the Emmy's office, the tongue was gone. The foster's tongue was cut out. I can, I, I will say this to you. I certainly believe that was not done not for forensic reasons or even counter forensic reasons. That was done to send a message. That's my, that's my personal opinion. And send a message to who? Because who would be, who would see that? Anyone attending an autopsy. That's my view. There are forensic uh, measures needed for that to take place. Okay. I mean, there's a reason for the tongue to be removed and the soft palate to re- be removed, but not before the start of the autopsy. So my, and this is my personal opinion, and my professional opinion, um, not only is the omission significant by star, but the act itself was intended to send a message. And, of course, you mentioned this, Joe, and I'm going to just uh, close with this. Starfield failed to report evidence that foster the Foster's car was not at the park at the time his body was found. Oh, it was there afterwards, but not there at the time he was found. And there's so much more to that case, but, folks, the reason that's important goes back to what Joe said. The closer look at this, the Clinton body count, the Clinton cabal of criminality, the Clinton homicide count, folks, this is the reason we have to take a closer look at this. Next segment that's coming right. up is uh And uh, before we get to that, I just want to mention this, and then I'm going to back off here. Just so proud to be part of the Minuteman Rocket Stove Company. When I say part of it, part. uh, So proud to to be able to talk about this. The Minuteman Stove, Minuteman Rocket Stove, folks. It's perfect survival cooking for you, your family, for a lot of reasons. It's a biomass burning stove. Requires only a small amount of sticks, twigs for fuel. You always will be able to burn or to use this. Mm -hmm. It's it's a great tool if you don't have one in your pantry. Get it now, because, Joe, as you mentioned, they have a special where they're offering, what, fire starters? Uh, fire one, starter.
2: one free fire starter and free shipping. It's an ammo can with one-eighth inch reinforced steel. That's right. Along with a welded burner on it.
1: It's self-contained. very
2: portable, easy to clean, efficient, easy to use. Minutemanstove.com. That's
1: right. It's the only self-contained rocket stove on the market that uh, seals airtight for travel and for storage. Mm-hmm. Tagman recording to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania, on with, coming up, coming up this segment, Holly Dale, she wrote a fantastic book, folks, oh man, it, you, you know what, it's sold out, it, it's actually sold out, but, but don't worry, you can back order it, you, you can back order it, no, not there to prepare, no, no, Prophetic Perils, we, we have our own copy here. And it's like gold in this studio. Um I I tackled Eric earlier today. Banged up his knee again, you know, old injury when when he had it. Um so I've got it. you know how they do in libraries that they hook uh like newspapers to to those chains and the sticks? I, I don't think they really it's been a long time since I did I've been in the library with newspapers, but uh, or doing, you know, reading these papers at the library, but, uh, you know how they, they keep those. Or, or the, the things they used to do, they, this, if you're an investigator, you know this, the old city directories and county directories they keep behind the desk. That's what we're going to be doing here with Prophetic Barrels. It's our only copy and it's great, folks. But you can, you can order Prophetic Barrels. Just go to standale.com and, uh, I suggest you do. Be the first to get, to get it when it comes out. Don't wait. Don't wait. Portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by Minnemann Rocket Stove, perfect survival cooking stove for you and your family. So, so it's an amazing, fully insulated with ceramic fa- uh, refactory insulation. It's, it's just a fantastic piece. It's self-contained, seals airtight for stra- tra- 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 apple and storage. That's right. It's the only self-contained rocket stove on the market. It's a 50 caliber ammo can. uh, the design features a lid that has a rubber seal on it it's really great and uh, a carrying handle and it survives falls from SUVs the roofs thereof by negligent drivers that's right those are just some of the features that make the Minuteman Rocket Stove a personal choice for survival cooking they're made in America and take a look go to Minuteman Uh, just go right to their website Go to minutemanstove.com. Take a look at the crew who you're helping to keep employed, just like we are. You, you're helping us stay in business through your support, your financial support. Thank you for that. You're actually, you are, are are all helping us employ people with families. That's right. It's more than Joe and I. It's Eric the Tech. It's others. You're helping to keep food on the table through your financial support. We thank you for that. But our very special guest right now, we thank her for her time. And and this is a rare opportunity, let me tell you. I and I just I love it when she appears on radio shows. It's been a while since I, I've I've spoken with her. Mrs. Holly Dale from Standale.com. dot com. Holly, are you there? Hi you Doug. Us?
0: Hi Joe. Thank you for that lovely introduction. And it's so wonderful to be with you guys tonight.
1: Oh, it's wonderful to have you. It really is. It, it, this is an honor and a treat. And we got so many people listening right now from all over the country, all over the world. Oh, it's great. And and your Holly, your book is so great. I mean, scary, disconcerting, big, heavy, fact-filled, but but it's great. Thank you for writing it.
0: Well, thank you for those those kind words. It was time. It was time, Doug. After. Posting news for 15 years and being a news junkie basically my entire life, it was impossible not to see how things have changed. Some for the better, a lot not. Add to that reading prophecy from lots of sources since age 13, the pairing was a natural ended up as prophetic perils.
1: You know, folks, earlier today, I, I got an email, I actually saw it later than, I got an email from Holly, and uh, she said, well, she wrote in there, what would you like to talk about about the book? Because there's a lot in here. And and I I, I thought about that for a few minutes. I'm thinking, man, you know, (laughs) where do you start in prophetic perils? Because, well, I would start here. The
2: changing, the the earth changes that we've seen in the first chapters of Holly's book lays it out um, rather well from... The earthquakes, the volcanoes,
1: yeah, but you know, the tornadoes, I, I thought about too. the
2: fires, I, the signs
1: everywhere. But, there are signs, but 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 Stan talks about that, mm-hmm. and I thought about that, but I, I said, you know, I wrote back. I said, whatever you're most passionate about, wherever you think, you know, wherever, basically, God leads you. So, Holly, we don't want to take up your time. So, uh, go ahead and start. No, right
0: fellas, Stan does cover a lot of earth changes, but. I would like to take a little bit of time and discuss those as one of the six main categories of biblical signs, simply because, while Stan talks about what's currently happening, I say there's an 8.2 happening in Peru, the key, what is different about this being an end-time sign, is the ramping up, the escalating the birth pangs, the quickening, whatever it is you want to call it, whatever terminology, that is the point in Scripture, and that is what we are to be aware of. To get right into it here, first let me let me just back up one second here and, and share that in the Bible, which is what Prophetic Perils is based on, every chapter has a particular sign that it covers there. It addresses it through science, scientific information, data, uh, current events, newspaper items, all of this that we can draw on to see where we are on that prophetic timeline. In scripture, there are about 2,500 biblical prophecies. 2,000 of these have already come to pass to the letter. A Canadian astrophysicist named uh, Hugh Ross He calculated the odds of this type accuracy at less than 1 in 10 to the 2,000th. That's the one with 2,000 zeros after it. So there's not even a word for it. That number is that big. So that leaves 500 prophecies there that have to do with end times and the seven-year tribulation. Now, Prophetic Perils doesn't look at the seven worst years because, frankly, guys, it's really going to be about too late for some some people. And it's already been done by a lot of folks, talking about the different seals, the trumpet judgments, and so on and so forth. But instead, Prophetic Perils looks at these warning signs that are right in front of us, prophecies that are happening now so that people can get their act together, Spiritually, mentally, physically, if they've been hanging back. So if you have any doubts, uh, Prophetic Perils has almost 1,600 endnotes. You can check all this stuff out yourself to know that, you know, I'm not blowing smoke. This is all fat guys, and it's right where we're at. But to uh, propel forward here a little bit into earthquakes, there are some very, very telling signs here. Interesting signposts. Uh, Earthquakes here have uh, been divided into uh, deadly and destructive earthquakes. These are great big events, and to qualify to be one of these guys, they have to hit at least a 7.5 or higher on the Richter scale, create a tsunami, kill at least 10 people, or cause at least a million dollars in damages. These quakes are so big, they can be picked up clear around the world, and they can't be fluffed off by USGS or some other entity as a mine explosion or, or a methane burp. These are going to be very well documented. Uh, on Stan's page there where it has show images, he's been kind enough to let me borrow a bit of his space there, and you can see these worldwide deadly and destructive earthquakes that in 1950, there were just 22 of these. Then six decades later, they have tripled. This is from the National Geophysical Data Center. That's an arm of NOAA. And they have lists of over 5,500 of these big templars. Staying also now with earthquakes, the Wall Street Journal published an article quoting USGS, They admitted that earthquakes in the central U.S., you know, where the New Madrid is, and eastern U.S., where you guys are, these places that don't see them nearly as often as the Ring of Fire and the western U.S. or Hawaii and Alaska, those earthquakes have quintupled recently compared to the 30 years leading up to 2000. So it's time for everybody to strap the seatbelt on. It's a good bet. That's why FEMA requested those 140 million MREs for the New Madrid region in 2011. The requisition stated right on the paper, and it is uh, in prophetic peril, so you can see it yourself, these MREs are to feed a survivor population of 7 million. So, these two bits on earthquakes, these are two good bits of data that show how earthquakes are increasing in intensity overall and also in frequency. Now, just a little side here, Stan called my attention to a video, it's a short thing, on uh, Angela Angela Merkel is addressing her fellow Germans and just uh, the other day, asked her fellow citizens there to store up 10 days' worth of food and water for an unknown disaster. They state right in the video that it could be a financial meltdown, market collapse. It could be a huge earthquake. They didn't specify, but it's pretty weird that they would come out, you know, in line with all of the uh, refugees streaming through and all these other problems that they are amassing over there now that she should come out, unlike our government, and warn you straight up to be prepared. You don't think that's kind of weird, fellows?
1: Absolutely, it is. Yes. Wow. Hmm. Okay. So, so where does that leave us?
0: That, sorry.
1: No. Uh, what can we extrapolate from that? I, I suppose. Uh, get ready. Saddle up. Watch out. Right.
0: Well, they also mentioned in there a possible war with Russia. Now, frankly, I don't think 10 days is going to do it. It might just be long enough time for the elites to scuttle into their bunkers, uh, you know, with everybody happy chappy that they've got their food for a week and a half uh, while they're living high on the hog, you know, two years down the road. I don't know. I'm just putting out there for you guys to, uh, for your listeners to, to think about. But something else that is a twin to earthquakes, of course, is, is volcanoes, and they've certainly showed a similar rise. We can track these uh, back to 1855, especially for the larger eruptions. Earth has got about 1,500 active volcanoes and 14 potentially active supervolcanoes, you know, the ones that are on the magnitude of Yellowstone. What's interesting is that scientists are making new discoveries every year for example at the end of 2013 they found that the magma chamber under Yellowstone is two and a half times larger than what they thought this lava pit this is so unreal it's 55 miles long 20 miles wide and 6 miles deep and it's filling up every day already it's got enough lava in there to equal its greatest ever ever eruption. Then just last year, in 2015, seismologists in Utah made another huge discovery. For years, scientists couldn't figure out why in the world more carbon was coming out of Yellowstone than what that massive lava lava chamber could account for. They discovered a second reservoir under that 55-mile-long one that's four-and-a-half times bigger than that one. So to put this into perspective, the two have enough magma to fill the Grand Canyon 14 times. If you guys have ever, ever flown over this enormous chasm in Earth's crust, you would know what a monumental explosion this would have to be. Something to think about. That's uh, that's an amazing
1: picture. Right. Wow. An amazing Word picture when you consider the, the, the vastness of the Grand Canyon.
0: Well, you know, a uh, uh, sign we're going to discuss down the road here a bit is, is famine. Think about what a volcano does. Not only does it just spew out hot lava, but a lot of that, you know, just kind of rolls down the mountainside and maybe down into the immediate plains and so forth. But the ash is the real issue with that. You know, it, it, Is little tiny pieces of jagged glass when you look at it under a microscope. That's one reason why it's so dangerous is because the sharp edges lacerate, you know, animals and people's lungs. It gets into uh, engines of, of vehicles and really does a number on them. But one thing else it can do is it can smother crops with all of the asphalt as well as block out the sun. So these are two other factors that could uh, figure into a famine scenario and something that's certainly prophesied, especially in the Gospels. So anyway, um, another thing that is ramping up in earth changes is tornadoes. They are doing something wild. Now, when I say they're ramping up, we're not getting more of them. We're still getting about 1,300 every year, but now... They're showing up in families and massive uh, outbreaks, and they're also trotting up higher on the EF scale. They're not, you know, just down at EF1 and EF2. You know, for people that aren't aware, they have a measuring scale for tornado strength, just like there is for earthquakes, which is the Richter scale or the McCallie scale. America is ground zero for twister activity, And only since um, 1950 uh, did seven of the strongest ever, the EF-5s, have they struck outside the U.S., and mostly those were in Western Europe. But a big change happened in 2007 because Canada joined that club of having an EF-5. And not only that, they nearly had the record for the one longest on the ground. That just happened this past year. And this was really strange, because most twisters in Canada stay on the ground just for a few minutes. This one was on the ground three hours. Tornadoes are also hitting more often out of season. They can happen, you know, any time of the year, but they generally used to start in April. Now it's February. Then also, NOAA realized that twister activity around the world had changed, so they were forced then to make a new map of tornado regions, which you'll find in prophetic perils. It shows where they say tornado activity will expand, and coincidentally or not, our own tornado alley has doubled in size. In fact, I saw one tornado that happened up in Michigan or someplace the other day, which is kind of really odd up there. But it's not just earthquakes and tornadoes and volcanoes. Wildfires are also giving us a heads up. In the show images page there, there is a wildfire graph that shows you how they have increased uh, from 1970 to 2015. That would be number eight there. What this tells us is something that's really important because Wildfires are such an evil, evil, all-encompassing monster out there. I don't know if you've been around a fire. Uh, In 2002, we had a horrible drought here. We had dear friends up in a town south and west of us about 40 minutes, and we drove up there to help them move. They had animals, all the clothes and their vehicles and tractor equipment, everything. And you could see this wall of fire coming up, bridging over the top of the nearest mountain. It's one thing, guys, to see it on TV or stills, you know, on your computer. But I tell you what, it is another thing to see the fire licking everything in its path and just descending with a vengeance. Now, that was a small fire by comparison. In the last 45 years... The five worst fires year, excuse me, the five worst years for wildfires occurred just in this last decade, and the worst ever was just last year. We had over 10 million acres scorched. Now, fire season back in 1970 used to last about just five months, I say just. That's compared to well over seven today. And then in 1980... We had about 140 fires every year that were bigger than a 1,000 acres. It's double that now. You can look what's going on in California. Uh, Three weeks ago, the LA Times reported that a quarter million acres had already burned. Um, They had lost eight lives there, and 300 homes had been destroyed. It's not just here. The fire situation is getting worse like this all around the world, but especially in the U.S., Canada, Russia, and Australia. You guys, I'm sure, probably read about that Fort McMurray fire this past June and May in Alberta.
2: Yeah, yeah. The real that bad was, one by the gas refinery.
0: Well, or, it was awful, Joe. You're, you're hitting it right there. They had 88 thousand people evacuated in their largest ever evacuation. That fire exploded overnight and just in a week it had burned six hundred thousand acres and it shut down like what you were saying a third of their oil production. It burned over three thousand structures and even damaged their power grid. By the time they finally got it contained, it had charred over a million and a half acres and that was Canada's largest ever wildfire since 1950. So, see, this ramp-up is happening all over. And the biggest one happened just five years ago. Mm. Okay. Well, wild and extreme weather, it has gone off the charts. There is a an image there. Um, number five, and it shows how natural disasters all over the world are just gaining in speed, momentum, and ferocity. You have, as I said, you've got a graphic of this, and this is put out by Munich Re. They are the world's largest reinsurance company. They keep track of of catastrophes around the world because when the insurance companies take a hit, so does Munich, Re. In 1980, there were only 275 of these disasters of this magnitude to qualify. In 2014, there was nearly a thousand. Last year, almost 1,100. To put this into perspective, on a home front level, before 2010. Most of us had never heard the term "one in a thousand-year weather event." Yeah, we'd heard of you know one in a hundred and and frequently one in five hundred, but since 2010, there have been ten one in a thousand-year storms. You've got one going on right now that in recovery that just hit in Louisiana. Four. Speaking of ramping up, four. Have hit America in this year alone. So we've gone from it being a never thing to 10 in one year and four just in this year. So that should show you exactly how this is, is uh, increasing. Louisiana, no wonder they flooded unmercifully. Uh, this one parish there called Watson Parish, in one day they had over two and a half feet of rainfall. That's just unbelievable amounts of water. They had nearly 7 trillion gallons of rain that fell in a single week. I I just can't wrap my brain around that. Even when you look at it in this perspective that that would be enough to fill 10.5 million Olympic sized swimming pools. I can't quite even figure 1 million, let alone 10.5 million of those. But those people are in such a world of hurt down there. They have had a hundred, just today, they figured out now there's 145,000 homes that have been damaged. It's worth $30 billion, and it's the worst natural disaster we've had here since Superstorm Sandy. There are at least 13 people dead. Over 30,000 had to be rescued, and there were caskets from 15 cemeteries floating through the floodwaters. This thing was so bad, and Mr. Obama finally stepped off his golf course on the 14th. It started raining in earnest on the 11th. He stepped off the golf course long enough to pronounce a disaster uh, declaration, but it took him nine more days to actually show up. Uh, Mr. Trump toured the uh, disaster areas and spoke with people four days ago, and Mrs. Clinton is still... I know so. Anyway, regardless.
1: I just want to mention, uh, just so people understand the, um, I, you know, Holly, I, I think that the declaration, disaster declaration, because that releases federal funds and assistance, I think the delay in that, um, the latency in that perhaps is more important than than his appearance. However, oh, both are important. No, but yeah, you know, it's just it's an amazing thing. And of course, his excuses. Well, I don't. I didn't want to hold up. You know, snarl traffic by my presence. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's that's what uh, he said, supposedly.
0: Yeah, I heard that, and uh, I had a hard time swallowing that one too. Yeah. But you know, regardless of of their their personal issues, there these. Huge storms are now forcing scientists to reevaluate their definitions of storms of this magnitude. They're saying Holly. that. Na-
2: huh? Can you hold that Sorry? thought? We are up against the break. If you can sure. hold that thought, uh, we'll get right back into this on the other side. Folks, we're listening to, to Holly Dale, <laughs> the author of Dare to Prepare, and her latest book, Prophetic Perils. End Time Events Revealed Again, Prophetic Perils End Time Events Revealed Go to Standale.com And get a copy of this book We'll be right back after this with Holly Dale Time events revealed with Holly Dale, the wife of the real Indiana Jones, Mr. Standale, who will be joining us after Holly's interview this hour on the Hagman and Hagman Report. One welcome each and every one of you for tuning in. I want to thank Holly for joining us in a rare appearance here on the Hagman and Hagman Report to talk about her latest book, Prophetic Perils, which you can find, order and buy on Standale.com. Holly is the author of Dare to Prepare... The Survivalist Guide to Surviving. It's a must-have. And her latest book, Prophetic Perils, is what we're talking about tonight. Holly, I'm going to turn it back over to you and let you pick it up right where you left off.
0: Well, just a quick last thing, then. Let's move on to what's overhead. These big rain events have forced scientists now to redefine what they mean by a 1-in-100-year one uh, event. Now, they're saying that those are more like 30- to 50-year events, and 500-year events are now 70-year events. So that shows right there from the scientists' own evaluations that things are ramping up. But there are also signs in the skies that show we are really close to these end times. Actually, we're in end times, uh, but we're not in tribulation yet. September this last year, you know, unless you were on the moon you had to know about the four blood moons, which were really really biblical tetras, which means these four blood moons fell on Jewish holidays. It also combined with the Shemitah and Jubilee years and all of these things together made it just phenomenally rare. The um In the last 2,100 years, these biblical tetrads had only happened eight times since Yeshua's or Jesus' crucifixion, and it won't happen again for nearly 600 years. Imagine eight times in 2,100 years. That that is just extraordinary. But often during a Shemitah year, that's every seven years in Jewish tradition when they don't plant their fields. And debts are forgiven. Forgiven, normally these years, these seven years, have brought the seventh year, I should say, has brought disaster to the financial realm. A year either side of it, the five greatest economic crashes have always hit in Shemitah years. Lots of people you know, have written about the biblical tetrads, uh, including Jonathan Kahn and Mark Biltz, uh, Pastor John Hagee and, and Bill Salas, but only Jonathan Kahn followed up with what he was discussing as financial calamity. Here's just a few things that happened this year that a lot of people weren't aware of. The British, French, and German markets, they lost 16, 18, and 25 percent respectively off their stock markets. Indian and Brazilian markets lost 4,000 and 12,000 points. It wiped two trillion from US markets and eleven trillion from world markets. This twenty sixteen year launched the worst year ever since the Great Depression. Before it recovered, the first week three weeks of January saw the Dow drop nearly ten percent and China's Yuan plunged so severely that they had to suspend stock market trading twice. Now, these things have recovered, but probably the most alarming aspect was a quote from William White. He uh, uttered this at the World Economic Forum in Davos in January this year. He is the former uh, economist, chief economist, of the Bank of International Settlements, so he is somebody to Uh, consider his words and respect his wisdom and experience. This is what he offered up, his words exactly. The situation is worse than it was in 2007. Our ammunition to fight downturns is essentially all used up. Deaths have continued to build up over the last eight years, and they have reached such levels in every part of the world that they have become a potent cause for mischief. It will become obvious in the next recession, and this will be uncomfortable for a lot of people that think they own assets that are worth something. Things are so bad, there is no right answer. The only question is whether we are able to look reality in the eye and face what is coming in an orderly fashion or whether it will be disorderly. Now, if that's going to be disorderly, that was the end of the quote, guys. If it's disorderly, that looks like that could set us up for martial law if people get too rowdy during these big bank failures. And the European Bank, they will be doing bail-ins as well ours. But their deposits for that um, level, when we have to participate in Europe, is 100,000 euros or about 130,000 uh, U.S. dollars to pay for these bail-ins because they have a trillion in loans that they know cannot be repaid. And plus, in the U.K. Telegraph, which is where this information came from, says they're going to roll over even more bad debts that haven't yet been disclosed. So you know what rolls downhill, and we can expect to get tinged with it as well. But in amongst this really dire stuff of the of the biblical tetrads that was a warning but something unique and wonderful happened right in the midst of them that is a promise I'm sure you guys heard about the return of the star of Bethlehem that happened at the very end of June last year and Christians believe that that indicates Christ is returning soon not soon like two decades off but soon, soon. As miraculous as this was, there is a scientific explanation of what happened, but that still doesn't take away from its uniqueness or its prophetic implication. What happened was that Jupiter and and Venus moved to less than one-third of a degree apart, so they looked like they were joined. They were unbelievably brilliant. They were up in the sky, in our eastern sky, uh, about uh, about halfway up if you're um, just looking up uh, eastward there about halfway up from the horizon I got every single morning because it was so spectacular and it just renewed my faith like crazy they stayed together like that in close proximity way into fall and they looked just like they would have looked at Jesus' birth to guide the wise men it wasn't like you know. Okay, one day they're close, and then the next day they move a little bit further apart. They stay close like that, in the first ever event since the real star of Bethlehem was shining. Isn't that amazing?
1: It, that, that is now. I've always believed Holly that that sort of kind of that alignment also suggests the one could extrapolate from that alignment. As you had indicated um, through your statement, that we could also put a year to the birth of Jesus Christ. I, I'm just—I guess—I'm asking more than I am making a statement on that. Would you agree with that, or?
0: Yeah, you know, I don't think it just started, you know, at ground zero. There, there is discussion, and I don't have any proof one way or the other. But you know, there's about a you know two to three year leeway as far as the dating there.
1: Got it. Okay, yeah, and not that, you know, people, I mean, not that that's really extremely important, but I think that explaining it as a star of Bethlehem, as you did, and I really believe that to be the case, lends legitimacy to what we're seeing currently. I don't even know if that makes sense, but, I, I yeah, it's an amazing, to me, that's just an amazing alignment. And uh, see, folks, that's a testament to the, the, the thorough nature of prophetic barrels, by Holly Dale. Go to standale.com. Be sure to go to standale.com and order your copy today because this will open your eyes to things that you never thought of, or if you have, you haven't thought of them perhaps in a while, or, well, it'll show you the latency of the hour. Go ahead, Holly.
0: Well, as long as we're up in the sky, we might as well talk about some of the gymnastics that the sun is doing there. It's exhibiting some of the weirdest and the wildest behavior ever. I know Stan has addressed some of this, but I'm going to pull some things together for you so you see it in totality about how very remarkable it is of late. In fact, uh, in 2003, Dr. Tony Phillips, he's the guy that heads up spaceweather.com. He is a NASA scientist. And he wrote then, in 2003, that the sun had gone haywire, his word, haywire. And as if to prove him right, on November the 4th of that year, it shot off its largest ever flare. Largest ever, ever. It was estimated by our scientists to be an X28, which is still 11 points over what solar instruments were calibrated to measure. Again, you know, like the Richter scale and the and the uh, uh, Fujita scale for tornadoes, the sun also has a measuring scale. It's registered by uh, three letters, A, B, C, uh, M, sorry, M is first, then C, and I've got this all screwed up. (laughs) It's A and B, then C, then M, and then X. A and B, they are little flares, and generally people just sort of ignore them. Cs, they deserve a mention. Uh, M starts to get very interesting, and then X is where we can see real problems. Each of those five letters, they have um, uh, a stepping area there of one through nine, and each one goes up in strength. So an X is ten times more powerful than an M, and a hundred times more powerful than a than a C. So you can see how big these grow exponentially. Right after this X twenty eight shot off, there were three physicists down in New Zealand that used radio waves to determine that that flare was really a whopping X forty five. X forty five. I'd never even heard of a twenty eight, let alone a forty five. You'll still see that X-28 measurement referred to in a lot of writings. I don't know if our scientists here were embarrassed that the Kiwis figured it out first or if, you know, our guys were advised to keep it quiet so people didn't freak out. Had that been pointing straight at us, it would have been a very, very bad day on Earth. They calculated the amount of radiation bombarding the atmosphere was equal to 5,000 suns, and its energy, that of 50 billion, 50 billion atomic bombs. That would have produced the mother of all EMPs. That would have made the Carrington event look like playtime. You can actually read their paper if you want to, so you can read this information yourself and, and prove it to yourself. And it's called, Ionosphere Gives Size of Greatest Solar Flare. It was published in the American Geophysical Union, and you could read it for free at the Wiley Library. But we've had other near misses, and the only reason, you know, our goose wasn't cooked, backing up here to that X45. The only reason our goose wasn't, you know, flambéed right then is that the sun had just moved around a little bit, so it wasn't pointing straight at us when it shot all this business off. We've had other near misses, too. Uh, one was in 1921 that scientists estimate was ten times more powerful than that 1989, or sorry, 1859 Carrington event. They estimate that if the Carrington event happened today, it would take four to ten years to recover. Now, that one for people that are not familiar with it. It shot off some amazing flares, and it hit North uh, America and Europe. And that was back in the day when we just had telegraphs that basically depended on the power. If we had been powered like we are now, we would be in deep dew for sure. But even so, it was so bright that bricklayers over there on the East Coast They got out of bed at 1 o'clock in the morning and started to go lay bricks because they thought it was daytime. Then they looked at their pocket watch or whatever and thought, gee, I ought to be back in bed. So they they piled in the bed. At 1 o'clock, the birds got up. They started chirping and looking for food. And people could actually read their newspapers from the auroras out there. It was so bright. Uh, In the telegraph offices, their papers caught on fire and sparks were flying all over from their telegraph equipment, so imagine what that would do right now. Because, uh, you know, things are ramping up, um, we had another near-mess just a couple of years ago in July of 2012, they say, would have been at least as strong as this Carrington event and because these things are getting busier on the sun, there is a physicist named Pete Riley of Predictive Sciences. He published a paper just two years ago in Space Weather, and he analyzed the records of solar storms going back 50 years. He looked at the frequency just of your ordinary normal solar storms clear up through the extreme ones, and he calculated the odds of a Carrington-type event hitting Earth in a decade. You're not going to like these odds. It's one in eight One Flares eight. and CMEs aren't all that the sun is doing. Uh, this is solar cycle one, sorry, 24 that we're in right at the moment. And it's supposed to be the weakest in 200 years. However, in 2014, the sun produced its most powerful solar storm in 150 years. Now, how does that do that when it's supposed to be so weak? But if that wasn't strange enough... Many of these solar cycles, they can have two peaks uh, when you think, okay, you're halfway through it, but sometimes they have a second peak, but it's always weaker than the first one, except for this one. The second peak was bigger than the first. Scientists are still scratching their head trying to figure out why that did that, and you can see an image of what's going on with what we've just discussed there. It's... um, Number seven there in the show images. So these are things that, you know, we need to be concerned about, uh, as far as just, you know, earth and skies and so forth. But let's look at the New World Order. That's something that people talk about all the time. But is it in Scripture? Yeah, you bet. It's in Daniel and Revelation. In Daniel, it talks about a new kingdom that's going to rise up and devour the world and crush it. Everything is going to be under his control, and his is the Antichrist. Then in uh, Revelation 13, it describes much the same thing, but specifically in verse 7, it says he's going to be given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. In other words, that's the Bible's way of saying... He's going to rule over everybody, full stop. Just like with these prophesied disasters in Matthew 24, the prophesied beheadings in Revelation 20, the overall moral decline of the world that's prophesied in Matthew 24 and 2nd Timothy. I don't think you've got to look far to see that happening, the increased violence and lawlessness predicted in, in Matthew 24, Look what's going on here with all these people getting shot for no reason or reasons that um, have been twisted, shall we say. We have a dozen U.S. major cities where homicides have increased at least 50 percent and some a lot more than that just in the last year. Also in prophecy is the ramping up of drug use that was prophesied in 2 Timothy and Luke. How many times have you heard on the news in the last two years how heroin and prescription drug abuse is at epidemic levels? You didn't hear this 10 years ago. So anyway, a lot of these things and more signs that we don't have have time to get into are all escalating. It's unfortunate for millennials and people that are younger because they won't have known anything different than what they're seeing right now. But back to the New World Order, it's been sliding into place for at least the last 70 years, starting with the formation of the UN in 1945, so it actually goes back to at least 1900. But back then, it didn't have much, much oomph to it. It didn't have wings, but now it's got blowtorches. Prophetic Perils has four pages of quotes from 25 world leaders, Popes, presidents, going back to Nixon, vice presidents, financiers, billionaires and other people in power, they've all specifically called for a new world order using those exact words in speeches and also in papers they're, they're writing. So you say, okay, uh, give me some proof. How is this shaping up? Well, it's manifesting in a number of ways. You Look right here in our own country. You can see the push for no borders. Look at what, where that got the EU. They are in a world of hurt over there. Uh, Mr. Trump wants to build a wall on the southern border, yet one month ago, Mexico called for more integration with America. We still have the plan for the North American Union on the books. It's still in place, but it's just quieter because even a decade ago, people got too riled up hearing about what was planned for us. Uh, That would be putting Canada, America, and Mexico all together in in one heap there. The only country that is for it is Mexico because their peso is a mess. Uh, It's only 18 cents to the U.S. dollar. Canada doesn't want it because they don't want to take on America's dramas, and Americans don't want it because we don't want our economy further burdened. Yet, it's there waiting. Another thing is the push for the TPP. And there are no less than over 20 trade agreements and money unions in place already that bind countries together all around the world. While these countries are getting bound together financially and borderlines, they're also attempting to deliberately water down Things that define our countries, uh, our attributes, and our cultural heritage, our religious heritage and ethnicity. And there's also a, a trend toward revisionism that rewrites history uh, decades later. They are saying in these uh, books, um, the history books that are going into high schools and junior high now, that things that happen one way really happen another just to make us more PC. And another way, while they're they're defining or watering us down, yesterday it came out that one school is trying to get kids to opt out of saying the Pledge of Allegiance. When I, you know most of us were growing up, that was like breathing. We stood, right hand over the heart, you recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Now they're making that an optional thing. Uh, we have World Heritage sites with uh, a 1,000 of these worldwide that basically come under some of the auspices of the U.N. Uh, we have 23 of these here in America. We also have uh, MAB sites, it's M-A-B, Manned and Biosphere, which also comes under uh, the uh, auspices of the U.N. And you know, when the U.N. sticks their nose in, people start to worry about the property rights Are my property rights in jeopardy because a lot of these people that are now living in in MAB and World Heritage Sites, they were there long before these places got uh, designated and in addition to whatever the specific site is, around those they've got buffer zones and then around those they've got transition zones and that is what butts up into uh, to the normal use real estate, but people wonder and they worry, rightfully, if the UN is going to be saying, "Hey, you know, what's yours is ours" as far as governments
2: and yeah, laws like go. Em- eminent domain.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Though that's more of you know a country thing um, for improvements. Uh, the deal about the UN is you know they're coming in there and just saying over the Constitution and over local laws, what can and can't be done with a certain you know piece of land around there. The Another thing where this is coming into play is with the ICLE studies, which stands for International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives. So it's easier just to say ICLE. In Prophetic Perils, you'll find a map uh, that was dated in 2012 because they quit making them after that that shows where 9,000 of these sickly cities are worldwide and their whole their whole goal is as stated on their site, the website is they're on board with Agenda 21 they kind of need to get up to speed, the Agenda 21 is morphed into Agenda 2030 and some now even 2050 but the point is In just a year time, they have already gotten 86 countries on board and has got 17 world offices. So now with these uh, 9,000 cities already um, clamoring to be part of Agenda 21, you want to look at your own city and see uh, what they've been doing. Uh, There are over 80 phrases in there that indicate it's an Ickly city. Um, you know, when they were using the word global warming, and everybody got all you know funny about that, well then it sort of morphed into climate change. Well, these guys That's got right. smarter. They are using lots of different words to mean the same thing. And their yes, whole goal is to squeeze people off of their nice properties and onto little pint-sized pieces of land so they can rewild the rest of this land and also so they can better control the population.
2: Making the, the living quarters smaller, uh, that's definitely part of the agenda while raising the rent and prices. Holly, we're at the end of the, the hour. I want to thank you so much for, for coming on. You're more than welcome to stay on the stand if you'd like and or come back another time.
0: Well, thank you, fellas, for the invitation. It's been a delight, and I'll just say that unless you guys feel a little bit um, dismayed about this material, on Dare to Prepare a Site, everything is free there. All the information for prepping, you don't have to buy a thing. Just go there and ravage the files and and, uh, prepare, and don't be discouraged, because God is always in our corner.
1: Amen. God bless you, Holly. Thank you so much for your time tonight, your gracious gift of time, which is actually a double whammy because next up is Stan, Stan Holly's husband, the man behind standale.com. Holly, again, thank you so much. Prophetic Perils, name of her book. Please, folks, reach out, pre-order that book. Actually, order it now. You will not be disappointed, Holly. God bless. Thank you so very much. Up next, Stan Dale. Stay right where you're at. Today,
2: the second half of the new dynamic duo, Holly Dale and Stan Dale. Stan is joining us now. Holly was just with us this last hour to talk about her latest book, Prophetic Perils. Folks, go to standao.com, and as Holly said you can download the Dare to Prepare information there. Her a lot, first a lot book. Of that.
1: No, a lot of the uh a lot of the um, dare to prepare stuff is free. I mean preparation yeah. stuff is free there. Yeah. At that website.
2: And you can also get her book, Prophetic Perils, from Standeo.com, as well as follow along with Stan this hour on the Hagman and Hagman Report to the right of the microphone under the show images page. Stan joins us each and every Tuesday on the, uh, the last hour, and we talk about a number of issues from geopolitics to earth changes to space weather, excuse me, we have Stan Deo standing by, and we're going to bring him on now. Stan, it's great to have you on. Holly did a fantastic job.
3: Hard act to follow, isn't
2: it?
1: <laughs> yes, it is. I, I wouldn't want to try that, Stan. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. Um No, you know, it, it's, it's such a pleasure to have her on and to hear the voice behind the words in Prophetic Peril. It really is, Uh it, because she put so much time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears into that book. I'm not sure about the blood uh, or the tears, but I can tell you, I, I know that she sweat a lot, uh, uh, or you know, put a lot of sweat into that. A uh, lot of research, man. What, fourteen hours a day for a while? So, God bless her. Man, that's great stuff.
3: I know. Uh, look, I'm. Um, uh, is your mic fading in and out, Doug?
1: No, but I am. Shouldn't be. <laughs> I, what I think I'm doing here is I, I adjusted the microphone earlier. I don't know. Is that better, folks? I mean, uh Well, you're be just better. like
3: you moved further away or closer to like you're trying to get something I guess maybe that's it I'm just worried about my own system wondering whether it's me doing it or, or
1: you but no, no it's 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 me it's operator error so you just you're coming in five by five okay excellent excellent
3: uh I um I got a a video uh or link to about a mm, 11 minute video by a guy named Tom Loopshoe on uh, YouTube if you guys look it up, uh I haven't got a link to it yet, uh up on the side, I'll try to do that here shortly, but it's uh entitled FEMA High Level Briefing, Mega Earthquake Swarms Coming. And this this guy, ex Marine here, is talking about uh one of his buddies who um had a, a friend's family member in FEMA for briefings uh recently about uh their fear of major earth changes and earth movements, you know, earthquakes. Due to a number of factors, and one of them being the weight of water over certain fault lines. And that could be said, they didn't explain it. Didn't know whether it was like from flooding or rivers, you know, like overflowing, or whether it was from other things. And so I, I put on their site, I put a comment and I said, look, you know, there are several things that you need to consider uh, when, when you're looking at uh, what may cause water increase or weight increases that could trigger these earthquakes. And, uh, you know, they were like, uh, okay, you can have um, uh, earth tides or, or water tides from the, the moon. Um, and if we're increasing the sea level by melting ice, as we are at various places, then as that progresses, the oscillation you know, back and forth of the moon's passage over the earth or near the earth will cause uh, tidal swells on the coast, and particularly on our west coast that we're looking at, and if you look at the the water use in California along the west coast where that drought has been for several years, you'll see that they've changed the weight of that structure on the land side by draining the aquifers down to a dangerous level that might take a thousand years to replenish what they've taken out of the ground in the time of the drought. So uh, lightweight can cause as much trouble as heavyweight on the seaside. Um, when you when you look at all these things, uh, what this guy's report is telling us is that FEMA is urgently getting ready to you know take care of survivors from major events. Now it didn't sound like uh, Yellowstone was about to erupt or something like that. It was more like New Madrid and that kind of thing or the West Coast of the United States. But it was an emergency session, uh, as I said there uh, in the title of the thing. It's FEMA high-level briefing: mega earthquake swarms coming. Even this week, I mean, uh, Kim, you know, Earthquake Girl, she's been uh, sending me stuff uh, all over the weekend. A number of small swarms are occurring. And one of the interesting ones that she sent was a swarm of like, you know, twos, two threes, 2.3s, that kind of stuff, over in the Long Valley Caldera in California at Mammoth Lakes. So the southern, kind of the south, uh, western rim of the caldera, uh, a cluster of quakes there. And, you know, we, we've seen uh, a number of Quakes, some significant down in the North Island of New Zealand around Lake Taupo and north of there at White Island. Some of these big volcanoes are getting a little bit antsy, and uh, the earthquakes that we're seeing, uh, oh, and today, yeah, and in fact, that, that brings up the point. If you go to um, the show images page, uh, way kind of middle of the page, you'll see the, the pictures of our books across one row and right above it, on the right says, EQs or earthquakes last seven days close to Fukushima. And If you click on that, this is again part of the things that I'm concerned about because the the earthquakes are not huge, but you know like fours and and, and uh, fives and that kind of stuff. But if you look at them, they're all clustered around Fukushima area, along that where that big Richter nine earthquake you know broke the, the reactors. So, when we see little, little flurries there, uh, you know, in the space of seven days, that's, that's kind of interesting, I think. Um, you know, what was it, probably a week, uh, ten days ago, we had a Richter 7.4, which I mentioned before, I think on the show about the, uh, the earthquake occurring down where the, uh, El Tannen meteor, uh, stopped moving and formed that ridge in the, the South Atlantic. And, of course, that Richter 7.4 and all the aftershocks were in that area, which, again, is because the surface of the Earth was stressed in that area when the asteroid hit and formed those ridges. The same kind of ridges are in Indonesia at the Banda Sea. And, oh, well, of course, we had about a Richter 5 there in the last week as well. Uh, so you can see, my, my concern, there are things ramping up on this guy's uh, video. Um, you know, kind of makes you think that behind the scenes everybody's getting ready. What was it, like two years ago that I told you I had an informant in the geologist sector at Yellowstone saying that they were putting in seismographs, uh, seismometers all over Yellowstone area and hooking them up to a supercomputer at that time down in Texas, probably University of Texas. But I'm pretty sure they've now switched it over to the uh, NSA data center in Utah, which is closer. But why would they be monitoring with a supercomputer these little seismometers up at uh, Yellowstone unless they were trying to get minute-by-minute type reports of, I don't know, magma buildup or or whatever. Um, There's not a lot of issue with water over, um, uh, you know, Yellowstone Caldera, I don't think uh, most of the action we're seeing is to the west of the caldera or the, you know on the west side of the park, not where the lake is on the east side. but again, um, why keep it, why were they keeping it quiet? Why did they have so many people sign non-disclosure agreements for the government there? people are even driving trucks and sweeping the grounds. I mean they all had to sign these things that they, they can't tell about all the seismometers and the government's involvement and in the computer hookups at Yellowstone. Again, that's, um, of course, hearsay because I wasn't there, but um, the sources were um, pretty pretty uh, well qualified, and I, uh, I promise not to divulge their identities, but um, uh, the, that that Yellowstone situation could run people toward um, the New Madrid area survivors. It's interesting, too, the, the guy was uh, showing a map. And he could only, this, this Marine in the video, was only able to, um, Take notes mentally and, uh, and then later, later write them down. But um, the areas that FEMA has been preparing to receive survivors include some, you know, in the in northern Oklahoma, Kansas, in that area, and also all along the right side uh, and, and left side of the New Madrid fault line. So, if they're preparing there, it's either for New Madrid or for and or for Yellowstone survivors, which. Um, would probably go south because they wouldn't go directly east because the prevailing winds and the ash and stuff would uh, kill them there in the north and the Dakotas and stuff like that. So anyway, look at this guy's video, Tom Lukshu. And as I say later, I will try to... um, take a rocket scientist to figure out that that would submerge a lot of towns and, you know, housing and stuff on our coastlines. They do say that this is probably not a clever way or a clever place to live on our coastlines. And that guy, that marine, I think he did mention that in his video, too. So, what Holly said, you know, things are kind of ramping up. We're seeing Earth changes.
1: That's what she said. As <laughs> we like to say. Yeah, exactly. Stan, I got a question about the... uh the
2: rising water due to the melting ice caps. We know that each year there is a, a cooling and then a heating of the ice caps uh they melt and then they refreeze. You're talking about um if the temperatures continue to rise, um kinda what you know, the global warming forecasters or Al Gore have been saying for a long time, if it gets to a, a desperate enough level the the sea will rise by, you know, six inches to a foot or two, then that would mean, you know, complete disaster for those on the coastline, correct?
3: Um, Pretty much so. I mean, it doesn't take 230 feet of uh, ocean rise to cause a great deal of uh, problems. What happens to all the people whose houses are submerged or flooded all along the coast? Their property is not worthless. Their houses are destroyed, and a lot of them won't have insurance, and they can't count on FEMA to help them. Um, you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to have roving kind of tribes of survivors looking to to just get food and water and shelter inland? Um, yeah, it, it's a serious problem. I mean, even when we were in Australia in 1996, it was, 96, 97, the Australian government was advising people in Australia not to buy or build homes along the coast, uh, the, the eastern coast of Australia from Queensland right down to Melbourne. Um, because of the threat of increasing water levels, which they say is not really, uh, you know, if, but soon. And uh, that was in 96-97. Now we're seeing the hard data on it. And I think the whole ploy by Al Gore et al was to get people to start making preparations and the smart ones to move off of the coastal areas uh, as far as water rise. From uh, quote unquote global warming, saying you know that uh, okay, this is a problem that we can address. It's not something that's impossible. We'll you know limit the amount of car exhaust that are putting the you know the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and by legislation. You know, all the countries will reduce their carbon production into the atmosphere, and that way we can um, possibly solve this problem. You know, with everyone's cooperation, they did that instead of saying, oh, "Look, this." sun is actually misbehaving terribly and going into a a phase state change, and we're not sure what's going to happen, it will probably get hotter, and it's already heating all the other planets in the uh, inner five planets, and and some of the gas giants and and outer planets are are exhibiting heating, Uranus and and, um, Neptune. Uh, They wouldn't say that, you see, because that means it's a problem so big that we have no chance of solving it ourselves. We're just going to have to deal with loss. Uh, loss of life, loss of property and resources, and probably loss of the United States as a, as a country. Because when these things start happening, uh, we're going to go into chaos here with people scrambling for resources uh, to survive. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's one inch to a foot, you know. No, I mean, uh, they're, they're, Joe, they're just... Uh, I can't explain in any other terms and say that it's going to be catastrophic, even that small amount.
2: Okay. All right. I always bring good news, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I... Uh, uh, I've seen the the Navy maps and the other uh, projections about sea level rises, and most of the population lives on the coast. I mean, if you just look at Canada, uh, the southern border of Canada to North America, I think 90 to 95 percent of the people live in 100 miles of that border. And I know along the Pacific and and the eastern uh, coasts that there are so many cities that live along those coastlines that it would affect about half the population if we saw the sea level rise uh, any significant amount.
3: Yeah, yeah, I know. It's um, it's shocking when you look at the population density here. I mean, most of our country lives over in the eastern states, east of the uh, New Madrid. And, of course, our, our food supplies and a lot of, you know, um, other resources that the eastern states people use come from the western side of the New Madrid. Should that... Convert to a big earthquake and break bridges and uh, block shipping and transport across from the west to the east, they're going to be short, you know, more than, uh, you know, damage from earthquakes and stuff. They're going to be short supplies that they need for some time. Like- Israel. Um, I don't see how Mohammed bin Salman, if he were the Antichrist, how he would be signing this treaty.
1: Folks, for listening to Stan Dale. that's his website. StanDale.com. Also, we had Holly on, Holly Dale, on right before Stan. Prophetic Perils, her book, available at StanDale.com. Stan's going to be with us for the next segment, the closing segment. Folks, uh, if you have a question for Stan, studio at HagmanandHagman.com. That's studio at HagmanandHagman.com for any questions for Stan. Stay right where you are and we right back. Deanna
2: Jones, Mr. Stan Deo from standeo.com. Folks, if you're joining us late, not only have we, are we joined by Stan Deo, we had the pleasure of having Holly Deo, Stan's wife, on in hour number two. I would urge each and every one of you, if you missed the interview or caught part of it or uh, listened to it, to listen again. Go back to hour number two and listen to Holly Deo talk about her latest book, Prophetic Perils, end time events revealed this thing is just as big as dare to prepare it's about a 10,000 page book <laughs> no it's, it's really big and it is full of important information just like dare to prepare was for survival needs and um, everything to do with the ABCs of food water preparations and living in times of the unknown. Exactly. With that, we're going back to Stan Deo from com. You can follow along on the show images page on the right-hand side of the mic, and we are taking questions via email for Stan at studio at Hagman com. Stan, where would you like to start on this hour, or this segment?
3: Um, well, and I managed during the uh, break there to get that um, that uh, video link that I was talking about to that marine guy so if people go over there to uh, the show images page and scroll down just to where the earthquake maps of today were right in the middle of it you'll see a picture of Tom and uh, that will lead you hopefully if I've linked it right
2: i um, see. Lipshoe yeah Tom am Okay, it's like the, okay, one, two, yeah, three, there it four, is. five, six, seven, seventh row down in the middle. Yeah,
3: that's it, yeah. Okay, and so you can just follow up on what I was talking about there. Now, right above that picture, of Tom, is a picture of the Third Temple, what it might look like in, in Jerusalem. Uh, Israeli Media, Preparations for Construction of Third Temple to Begin. This came out August the 15th this year, and there is a link to that article. You can read it there by clicking to it and seeing, you know, how strong the the motivation is at the moment for the Third Temple to be built. And remember what I said a few shows back about Erdogan over in, in Turkey opening up a hand of friendship to Israel? And his leading press at the time, I don't know whether they survived the coup the attempt or not, but they were saying we need to let the Israelis build the third temple to Solomon up on the Temple Mount. So when you have people kind of at a grassroots level in Turkey wanting to have the Temple of Solomon up on the Temple Mount, and their leader shaking hands and making friends with Israel, uh, and wanting to to get oil and gas from Israel. You know he's got; he's had his hand for that. You can see where this may well happen, as they're saying. And the next image over, you see a picture of uh, the Prime Minister Netanyahu looking over his glasses. And the article there says Israel. It's a question mark. Uh, Israel planning third uh, temple on Al-Aqsa mosque site. Well, you just heard what I just said about it. And if you get to that article, you can. Uh, click on the International Middle East Media Center about the Israeli institutions and organizations are preparing to build the so-called Third Temple in place of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. I doubt that they'll replace the mosque. I think they'll put it up on the northern garden area, which has got trees and some minor, um you know, uh, archaeological sites there, Solomon's Porch, uh, and uh, uh, some smaller kind of structures that could be removed or built around rather than take get rid of the mosque. But, uh, anyway, click on those two things and read the article because they are shaking their heads and hands and saying, "Let us build our temple, and this will certainly in- uh, usher in the uh, the tribulation period. I'm pretty certain I'm just um
1: watching it like a hog um, now with respect to the third temple I just have to ask you a question stan i have I've heard some so much acrimony about this oh you don't need to, they don't need to build third temple and On and on and on, but it's prophetic in nature. I mean, the third temple is an element of prophecy, is it not? Yeah, I mean the actual physical building. Yeah,
3: and it it is a commandment to them in the uh, um, in the midrash uh, that it is an evil generation that returns and occupies the land of Israel. You know, the Israeli generation that occupies it and within 45 years does not rebuild the temple um and that's just you know been in tradition for a long time so the um the purists in the faith are saying you know look we we need to do this because uh, we've been here you know uh, long enough what was it to 1948 and if you had 45 years they should have had it done by 1993 so if you say they didn't occupy um, the whole city of Jerusalem and the country until, um, say, 1963 in the Seven Day War. If you add 45 years to that, they had to build it by 2008. So, uh, as far as the imperative to rebuild and be a righteous generation, they missed the boat a whole lot. Um, that means that this whole situation has got to come to a head real fast. Uh, I guess before you know a 70 or 75 year generation is finished as well from some starting point back there. But uh, all this is is such a complicated political and religious puzzle. Uh, my mind just kind of goes blank at times. I'm thinking, you know, who's allied with who? What's going to happen next? There are so many possibilities that, you know, you just kind of want to go, duh, 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 what's going on? It's amazing.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Stan, I don't know when you want to start taking questions from our audience via the emails, but we have uh, several emails already uh, in the hopper. Okay. All right. Let's try it. Um, Let's start here. We have a Karen asks the following. What is your take on Nibiru? Doug, when you talked to John Moore, did he mention Nibiru? I think he has opinions on it, too.
3: We've talked about this a number of times in the past. Um, uh, Until I see more hard evidence of it being close, I'm not convinced it's going to be a major player in what's happening as far as Earth changes. Uh, I do support the the fact that there is a a stable orbit around our sun with what's called a mean orbital axis of uh, 36, sorry, of um, uh, its orbital time. Its mean orbital time is 3,600 years, plus or minus about 10 years
2: far as I could calculate it, and it would be and so, out at Scientists about, have confirmed this, even lately, uh, the ninth you know, the ninth planet with the oblonged orbit, uh, they uh, uh, haven't had pictures of it, but they say that there has to be an object out there. Uh, well, the, the one uh, that they
3: identified, Joe, was a smaller one like Pluto, uh, out of the Kuiper okay. Belt. They haven't identified or located that big one that's doing what you're talking about, the, the Neptune and Uranus perturbations for us, I know, have okay. you seen something that said
2: that? That's right. No, there was an article, um, I believe it was either yesterday or, or Sunday, um, that talked about this new planet and how it's, uh, tilting the axis, uh, did Planet Nine tilt the entire solar system, actually it was a, a YouTube video, um, and it talked about how there would have to be a planet out there for, uh certain things to happen the way they are happening in space, but it was uh, just a a YouTuber, uh, you know, not really a scientist or an expert. It was just somebody giving their opinion.
3: Yeah, well, I can, I guess, give my opinion, too. It, you know, uh, our solar system is kind of... Um, Odd in you know it's in a small percentage of stellar systems that didn't form as a binary star system like two two suns. Uh, we're unusual in that respect. Now this large um, mass that's perturbing the orbits of Uranus and Neptune, uh, this has been suspected for gosh nearly a hundred years. But we're getting closer to being able to find out where it is by plotting these uh, perturbations in the orbits. It could be. Um, you know, a brown dead dwarf star that used to be part of a binary system with our Sun. And that might explain why it tilted our whole solar system, uh, you know, a bit off of the ecliptic plane. Uh, we thought at some time that maybe Jupiter was going to be the, uh, the binary star with our Sun, and it just didn't reach critical mass in its, uh, uh, you know, its formation so that it ignited and became a, a star as well. That would have been pretty difficult for Earth. But anyway, yeah, Nibiru, look, I'm completely open on that because I know the orbit is there uh, and it certainly fits with some of the Mayan dating things about a 3,600-year period of something coming, you know, close to the sun and upsetting the Earth. Um, and I'm just hoping that some of my civilian uh, astronomers in the, let say in Australia, but in the Southern Hemisphere, will find hard evidence of this and, uh, you know, pass it back to us. There, there's just a lot of things that do indicate that our governments, not just U.S., but major world governments, uh, and, and the Catholic Church, of course, um, are hiding some of their findings about whatever they're looking for out there. So without seeing, you know, the hard evidence, I can only say I think it's possible, and I hope to see hard data on it soon.
2: Okay. i see. seen Turn lots of a videos. Lot, <laughs> Sorry, what? There's there's so many videos out there reporting to show, uh, you know, Planet Echt or Nibiru in the background. And uh, so often, more often than not, there are lens flares and, and these other uh, anomalies. And at the rate that they're being shown by amateur video takers and astronomers, if, they re- if that really was Nibiru that was being captured all over the globe at these different places and, and from the south to north hemisphere, we would we we would see it by now. And of course I, we would. Yeah. I think we we'll know if planet nine or Nibiru uh is real and its orbit comes close to Earth, we will definitely all see it together. Long time <laughs> um, off. Yep, yep. yeah. Yeah. Alright, next question. This is from James in Jacksonville asks Stan, at what rate will the sea level rise if your prediction is correct? Will people in coastal areas have time to get away. Thanks and God bless.
3: You know, James, I think so. Um, You'll have time uh, to um, move inland, uh, but obviously you'd want to be ahead of the crowd and find work and accommodation. And if you own property, you know, uh, where you are, you would want to be able to sell it at a reasonable price. Otherwise, you have to walk away from it and say, well, I've lost it. Uh, So the clever persons are going to get out of these uh, areas and resettle before the actual warning comes. The, the the melts, you know, will be, gosh, over years. Um, and so you do have time, and I would start doing uh, thoughts and preparation on that right now, though.
2: All right. Let's go to another question. This is from Doreen. Can you ask Dan why he thinks German and the Czech, uh, Czechs told their people to stockpile food?
3: You know, Angela Merkel did that. I saw the video and the translation of it. Um, it is of concern, uh, and I, I meant to cover this anyway. Uh, just uh, ran out of time. But, Doreen, Germany is at odds with uh, Russia at the moment. And there are some rumors in Germany that she made this announcement in preparation for a confrontation with Russia, an actual armed comp- confrontation there. Russia is wanting to remove NATO as a threat to its borders. And, of course, Germany plays a major part in that as well. And uh, the other thing is that she may be looking at some other type of catastrophe that will affect Germany, And but she's only told them to prepare... Ten days of food and water um, and something else—I forget what else she asked them to prepare with—but uh, normal things. And if you were preparing for war or for you know a natural catastrophe, you would need more than ten days. So I don't know why she has done this, unless it is to alert her population to the fact that they need to get prepared for loss of uh, you know municipal services and things and food supply and water for a period of time, perhaps longer than 10 days, but she says 10 days, so it cushions the effect of the warning. But for a world leader, you know, for a country leader like that to come out and say that openly to the public means she is trying to help them, and it's an imminent danger.
2: Okay. Um, Moving on here, this next question is from Steve, Steve, and he asked uh, you to comment on an article last week Wherein NASA said that there is a 99% chance of an earthquake happening in Los Angeles within the next two years, and apparently they gathered this data through monitoring um, other small earthquakes in the area and the pressure builds up, the pressure built that has built up in the fault lines around Los Angeles. What kind of stock do you put into the predictions NASA is making?
3: I would listen. Uh, quite frankly, I, I know that the as we get closer to the moment when the big ones are going to occur, that the warnings will become a little bit less subtle. But saying that it might happen, you know, in the next ten years, they're concerned about that. Gives people, uh, you know, a little bit of padding as to when and what they're going to do. Again, as I said to the guy uh, to uh, James and Jackson, I said, you know, it's wise to prepare ahead of the rush. Um We do know that there are at least among two at least eight, maybe nine major fault lines running kind of north south through California, and we know the pressure's been building up, and my concern is that the drought and the drain on the water aquifers underneath California, which has caused subsidence of many, many feet, you know' sinking down already in those areas that this is changing the weight balance on the fault line which we know has been building up pressure. And it, it, uh, even though Washington and the Juan de Fuca plates north of there quite a bit, all of that is connected through fault lines that run up, uh, past Eugene and northern, uh, California and up into the, uh, uh, uh what's it called? The, um, uh, uh, it's a ridge that comes in from the, the ocean, the Pacific, straight into, uh, California there, at Eugene. Uh, yeah, the Mendocino, uh, ridge. Yeah, thank you, Holly. Um, but, um, yeah, I I would pay attention. Uh, you're being given warning after warning, and I wouldn't wait ten years to do it. I would start now.
2: All right. Uh, there you go, Steve. Uh, question from Jill. Stan, your opinion based on uh, your own observations and um, other people's opinions that you've read that you uh, think are credible about the severity of this year's winter. I keep hearing it's going to be a terrible winter. I know that it's hard to predict these things, but is there anything that you have seen that would lead you to believe that the winter will be more fierce and cold than usual?
3: Hmm. Well, I know that uh, around here that we're already looking at uh, fall. Um, uh, yeah, in the early fall, uh, on our property, we're seeing it in the trees, and uh, the leaves are turning yellow, starting in some of the plants that are trees that shouldn't do it for another month or two. So uh, it's possible. Holly, have you heard anything about uh, the severity of winter? Is anybody who officially said anything about it going to be unusual? No, but
0: this is not in the space. No, is supposed to have a warm up yeah.
3: winter. Yeah. Now Noah's forecast. She was telling me. I thought that's what she'd seen today. Was that Noah's forecast? Is we're going to have a warmer than normal winter? You know, at this point, I don't know. Uh, there are conflicting reports, and the weathermen are scratching their heads. You know. Um, I know that for the last year, maybe two years, that our local weather here in Colorado has been strange, irregular, and like our whole crop of, of vegetables and and uh, apples and uh, peaches and stuff this year are smaller. Tomatoes, they're smaller because of the weird weather. Uh, uh, it was te- definitely uh, atypically hot. Um, so I don't know what you know why they would be an extremely bad winter, but. Let's see if we can find out something about it in the interim. Good question, Joel. Sorry about that.
2: No, no, uh, that's uh, quite all right. Um, let's see. Don't see any.
1: There's a, there's a couple of repetitive ones here, yeah. the ones that you already addressed. But, a, uh, interestingly, about the, i got two others <laughs> about the weather. Well, here's For one. Winner, I'm sorry. The,
2: off of Planet X, uh, just a continuation. If there is a Planet X stand, this listener uh, would like to know if it would be considered wormwood, as the Bible uh, says.
3: Well... <clears throat> Yeah, um, that's that's pretty easily answered by scripture itself. Uh, wormwood is going to fall into the ocean and make it bitter and kill fish, isn't it? So if it were a planet, uh, believe me, there wouldn't be an ocean or, or Earth left intact. It would be just a, a pile of rubble floating around in the Earth's orbit. So it's going to be something smaller. It says like a, like a, a star, you know, a, a bright thing and that might be more like a comet or an asteroid striking the earth in my opinion. It's a uh it's called a burning mountain. So uh, that could also be, get this, it doesn't have to come from orbit or outside the earth. It could be a severe eruption because the ancients used to call volcanoes burning mountains. And something like say Lake Taupo which is definitely on the watch list for a massive super eruption if that were to erupt and blow one of the volcanoes on the edge of it, like Ruapeo, off the New Zealand coast over into the ocean, that might qualify as wormwood. And certainly, the metals in it um, would be uh, bitter. I mean, I've flown over Ruapeo in a small aircraft when it was boiling a, uh, uh, a sulfuric sea in the caldera there, in the in the cavity of the top of Ruapeo. Um, we weren't certain where it was about to erupt at the time. It was busy bubbling lake of sulfuric acid just underneath the wings there. It was a little bit intimidating, but if that were to blow that sulfuric acid stuff and any of the other minerals that are there off into the uh, Pacific there, that might well pollute the ocean, like with, you know, metal toxins and stuff that makes the water bitter and kills a lot of fish. Uh, I doubt that the Yellowstone uh, caldera would be close enough uh, if something like like that happened at Mammoth, for instance, I I don't see that happening immediately, but it, it, that would be close enough to possibly throw something off into the water table of the Pacific. But just look at Scripture and look at all the factors that describe Wormwood and write them down and then say, what could cause this? And it's not going to be uh, a large planet because that would be such a a huge thing that there would be no, no life left on the planet. It would destroy the planet entirely.
1: All right, very good. I mean, it, it, well, maybe I shouldn't have said very good, but wow! All right. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, okay. Um, well, okay. T- t- take us into any unfinished observation, Stan. Uh,
3: you know, okay. I want to. I want to address something here, which has been kind of uh, in the back burner, if at all, in both the Trump and Clinton campaigns. Um, they have talked about a lot of things that are near and dear to people, and Trump is talking about well, if he gets to be president, he's going to uh, you know increase jobs and do all this kind of stuff. One of the ways he might do that, of course, is to continue funding and increase the funding to NASA in their reach for Mars. And uh, the space agency, NASA, is looking at the transition of government and wondering whether we're going to have enough budget to keep NASA functioning, at least on the, the side of Mars and uh, the space exploration, which, you know, brings up a question of why do we need to be spending money on such things? You know, it's such huge budgets on going to Mars. We've got such huge local problems. I'd rather see them spend money on, like, uh, near-Earth object uh, detection and deflection you know put money into that because that's a clear and present danger which that that wormwood thing may well be um but you can see that uh, if you go uh, see if you look for the article NASA's hopes for Mars and the future are at stake And uh, you can uh, link to that with the picture above the temple picture, Mars and the Future at Stake in the 2016 election. Click on that and see uh, that consideration. Uh, You know, it would employ a lot of people if they did shift direction and make NASA going after more clear and present dangers closer to the Earth. Uh, I'd be in favor of that, and I'm not sure whether that would require going to the moon again and setting up staging there for deflecting asteroids or you know smaller meteors but um we know from recent events in Russia and elsewhere on the planet there have been small explosions uh relatively small when fragments of a meteor or meteorite now broke up in the atmosphere and struck targets on the earth uh we- you know, Space Command is tasked with doing that. Holly and I visited them. They are tasked with watching some 5,000 objects that they know about, and there's a lot more they don't know about, uh, that are potentially near-Earth orbiting objects that could cause a lot of damage. Um, uh, the whole planet, in essence, should be looking after this, not just us and NASA. So, I think that maybe uh, maybe I'll write a, uh, an email to uh, Trump and see what he's going to do about that. Uh uh, I don't think Hillary would do anything about it. She's just kind of <laughs> uneventful. Of things that are important.
1: <laughs> That's for sure. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to write. I'm going to write a. I think I'm going to write an article. Hill ill, only uh, in the pickled no. minds of conspiracy cukes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, like I don't know where this thing is going. I, I, I sometimes really think that Obama is cool and calm and collected, playing his golf and being disinterested because deep down he knows that we're going to have such a crisis arise that he'll stall the elections. You know, I just feel this. Whether it be a candidate gets ill and they have to regroup and allow the other party to, you know, get a new candidate or whatever, or if it's war in in, in Europe or the Middle East uh, or terrorist attacks here in the country, I think he is well aware of what's about to happen by their plan. And uh, that's why
1: he's so calm. So, you know, yeah, yeah I agree. I agree with that. I, I was looking at some of the, some of the. Um, I mean, Clinton is or uh, Clinton, Obama. no, they're one and the same. Obama yep. is skipping the um, global initiative, Clinton global initiative uh, meeting here that's scheduled what uh, shortly. He seems to be disinterested, suggesting, you know, I'm, I'm going to be out here five months anyway, so leave me alone, kind of thing. But yet. There is that presence, the the troubling presence of this uh, this overshadowing feeling that everyone's got and people have that, man, you know, he could he could just not go. And I, you know, as an American and, and as someone who's heard every single election for the past, I don't know how many since nine eleven anyway. But you know, you know, there's no plans to change leadership. Well, what do you? Th- I mean. I, is your is your spirit telling you i mean you know are you troubled too I mean, obviously. Oh, well,
3: definitely, Doug. Uh, I feel that we're heading into a crisis of major proportions, but as I was saying earlier in the show, I don't know where it's going to come from. You know, this hypothesis I put forward here about Obama staying in office or about, you know, Hillary being too ill and being taken out or, you know, either one of the candidates suffering an attack by some lunatic and, you know, or the war starting in the Middle East or in Europe with NATO against Russia. All these things are possible. And perhaps not well orchestrated when it starts to happen, but, you know, uh, I feel the uneasiness that so many people around us do. Uh, just ordinary people you talk to, there's something in the air. You, you, can, you can feel
1: it. That's 100% certain. Stan, you've done it again. You've taken us through... You and Holly. Yeah, you and Holly. Um Thank you. Thank you both for gracing our program with your presence again this week and uh, with Holly. It was an extra special show. It was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It, it really was. And, and please extend our thanks to her again. Uh, we've got so many people sending emails saying, what a great job and you know what a sweet lady. So God bless you. Michael. All right. God bless you now. Until Night-night. Next All right. Yep. Folks, uh, that'll do it for us, cast. Yes. Now I'll say... The rest of the week is going to be just a fantastic week. We got so much going for two new guests. Oh, yes,
2: two yes. different fields of expertise. One, Chuck Baldwin, pastor Chuck Baldwin, author of Romans 13, will be our guest tomorrow for the first two Patrick hours. Patrick Wood
1: on Thursday and uh, Technocracy uh, oh, Rising. Boy, oh boy, you know what? Buckle up for that one. Buckle up, Author baby. Author
2: Patrick Wood Thursday for right. the whole three hours and Ted Brewer
1: on Tuesday. Good night, everyone. <laughs>